The following is a conversation with Will Sasso, a comedian, actor, podcaster, and someone I've been a fan of for many years, since Mad TV in the late 90s, to recently with the 10-minute podcast, and now the new podcast called Dudesy. And now a quick few second mention of each sponsor. Check them out in the description. It's the best way to support this podcast. We got Eight Sleep for naps, Athletic Greens for multivitamins, BetterHelp for mental health, on it for supplements and indeed for hiring. Choose wisely, my friends. And now onto the full ad reads. As always, no ads in the middle. I find those ultra super annoying. And uh, since I get to decide how to do things with this particular podcast, I don't like to do annoying things. But I still try to say interesting things, sometimes only half related to the sponsors. So maybe you would like to listen, but if you skip, please still check out the sponsors. I enjoy their stuff. Maybe you will too. This episode is brought to you by 8sleep, and it's Pod 3 Mattress. So I just took a nap. I feel incredible. I passed off for 20 minutes, all on my 8sleep bed, both the mattress and the mattress cover is an 8sleep. The surface of the mattress was cold to a perfect temperature with a warm blanket. I uh, turned off like an old Pentium PC in a matter of seconds. I turned back on like an old Pentium PC with a sound. <laughs> Actually, it took a really long time for those things to boot, but it was always excitement, anticipation. Back in my day, we used to walk both ways uphill to get an image from the internet. Anyway, you can get the Pod 3 cover. You don't have to use their mattress. You can put the cover on your own mattress. It's all awesome. Whatever you do, it's awesome. I guarantee it. Check it out and get special savings when you go to 8sleep.com slash Lex. This show is also brought to you by Athletic Greens, and it's AG1 Drink, which is an all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. I drink it twice a day. Sometimes I forget the travel packs when I'm traveling and I miss it. I look out the window and I wonder, what is this all for? Why are we here? In fact, I do that with Athletic Greens too, but um, there's a little more zest to it with Athletic Greens. What am I even talking in these ads? I wonder if anyone's actually listening. Like I can literally say anything. I wonder if there's like just two people too drunk to skip ads. They're just listening to this right now. Well, I'm with you, brothers and sisters. What was I talking about? I don't know, but you should check out Athletic Greens and you'll get uh, one month supply of fish oil when you sign up at athleticgreens.com slash Lex. And given this ad read, they will very quickly uh, cancel their support, I'm very sure. No, they love me, I love them. No matter what, whether they're sponsored or not, I will always love Athletic Greens. This episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp, spelled H-E-L-P, help. I often go in my mind to a place where I'm just sitting alone on a desert island. I imagine talking to that volleyball, Wilson, and just the peace of being away from humanity for a time, so you can be alone with your thoughts. I imagine that. And I also imagine writing help in the sand when I'm too sick of my own thoughts. Speaking of being too sick of your own thoughts, 
that's just a funny thing to say. Of course, your thoughts, dark or beautiful, low or high, are your lifelong companions. And you should bring them to the surface and you should play with them, you should dance with them. And uh, talk therapy is one way to do that, I think. Podcasting is a kind of talk therapy, that's a way to do that. So you should uh, really try out BetterHelp, which is a way to do online talk therapy. You can check them out at betterhelp.com slash lex and save on your first month. This episode is also brought to you by Onnit, a nutrition supplement and fitness company. They make alpha brain a nootropic that helps support memory, mental speed, and focus. Like I said, I just took a nap. That's uh, component number one of ultra focus. Component number two for me is caffeine. Then of course, there's the zen-like, maybe people think of it as meditation, ability to block out all the other distractions. But even then, sometimes that's not enough. If you really want to accomplish something difficult, uh, mentally speaking. And so for that, I will take an alpha brain every once in a while to help me be the extra super boost for that um, deep work session, by which I mean sitting there, staring at a thing, thinking about it, and not allowing your mind to deviate from the focus on that thing. Anyway, you can get a special discount on alpha brain at lexfriedman.com slash on it. This show is also brought to you by Indeed, a hiring website. I've used them many times, many, many times in the past for the hiring efforts I've done for the teams I've led, teams I've been a part of. I'm doing quite a bit of hiring now for the podcast creative kind of efforts. A lot of us spend a lot of our day working on a thing. Hopefully it's a thing that you really enjoy doing. When it's a thing you enjoy doing, there's, to me at least, nothing more rewarding than doing it with people you care about, people that inspire you, people that challenge you, people that teach you stuff. So a great team is a beautiful thing. So I really, really care about good hiring uh, tools, services, websites, and Indeed is um, great at that. Anyway, and I'm also hiring quite a bit for a lot of things I'm doing now. I'm a little bit behind schedule on that, but I will get to all the resumes quickly. And I'm also using Indeed as part of this effort. They have a special offer, only available for a limited time. Check it out at indeed.com slash lex. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Will Sasso. So let's call it the elephant in the room. You wore a black suit in a recent episode of Doozy. Yes. <laughs> you wore a black suit again today. Uh, Shakespeare, then Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. Uh, what kind of man does a suit make you? Well, me in particular, it, it makes me a fellow who did not get this dry cleaned in between because that episode of the show as we sit here now was around a week ago. So yeah. that's that's the kind of man it makes me. Well, the uh, the nice thing is you're wearing 
pants i think yes i am wearing pants. i don't think you were wearing pants in the episode that's correct i i prefer to wear shorts but this was a special occasion so i'm wearing pants and i I thought it fitting obviously to just wear you know the black tie and uh clothes do make the man and i'm a i i would not consider myself to be a man of leisure but i do enjoy (laughs) shorts yeah because my legs get hot so that's what kind of man the shorts make often do you wear a suit I fucking hate wearing suits. So what uh, is this, a statement of, uh, is it ironic? Or is it? are you honoring the gods of this particular podcast? I'm honoring the gods of this particular podcast would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Yes. No, this is this is in, in reverence of and in dedication to you and our newfound friendship here. Yes. Which we are uh, making uh, on the podcast. You and I just met. Yeah. Everything that we're saying here is the, fr- or the first things that we're saying to each other. So I'm meeting you on Common Ground. Dressed like well, I've been actually a one-way friend of yours for many, many years since Mad TV. Oh, uh, when did you start on Mad TV? So that was many. I mean, in nineties, ninety-seven, yeah, ninety-seven. So I was a huge fan of yours, and the oh. cast was incredible. It was one of the funniest shows oh, ever cool. created. Your whole journey watching through that was was incredible. From Mad TV to Three Stooges to the podcast, the the ten minute pod, and then the new podcast is yeah. incredible. Oh, cool. um, Cheers. My favorite role that you played was the mountain in the Game of Thrones. What was it like working with dragons? Well, the dragons are usually tennis balls on the end of sea stands, but uh, sometimes they they hang out. Um, I am sea stand. It's like you know, it's like a little like the thing you got the camera on here. Oh, this is like film lingo. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm trying to impress you with my film lingo. You know what a banana is? (laughs) Yeah, when you walk like this. Oh, do it a, a banana. I take it back. I did not know what a banana was. Yeah, see, it I means something. That, yeah, because it's just a food. Yeah, normally. Uh, you fancy I'm, Hollywood folk with yeah. the lingo. And I am. Uh, my name is Bjorn Hapthor Bjornson, mm-hmm. and I am seven foot four. And uh, yeah, so dragons don't dragons don't scare me, even though they've been extinct for a while. Mm-hmm. You scientists, right? Is that check out? Yeah, I actually I'm really into video games. I don't yeah. know if you play video games. There's a uh, there's a Skyrim uh, video game that's part of the Elder Scrolls series. And for the longest time, there's a legend that there's dragons. I think it started in Daggerfall. And so I always, I grew up playing those video games and dreaming of one day meeting a dragon in a virtual world. And eventually you did in in Skyrim. So it's, it's dragons represent, I don't know exactly what they represent, but they represent maybe this kind of mythical creature that is bigger than anything humans can compl- possibly comprehend maybe because they're so they're so they show up so often in myth from the from the religious stories you know of the snake and so on the serpent and i don't know what that is with well, this breathing fire that's kind of weird it's interesting when i think about dragons because uh, now that you bring it up these are people that probably wouldn't have access to the fact that there used to be dinosaurs right maybe they did if they didn't they're drawing things that look like you know a dinosaur cousin but cool that can yeah. breathe fire and has wacky wings and a spiked tail. Um, yeah, where the heck did they come up with that? Because they're clearly, of course, represented in mythology all the way back to, uh, no, not cave drawings. Well, the Egyptians probably knew what the, and they could time travel, so they would have gone back to the caves. Well, the aliens that placed living organisms on Earth could time travel and they could plant legends into the into the collective intelligence of the human species yeah and perhaps they were thinking of us to do something smart with it and we didn't we just came up with skyrim now 
We're just, what's that? Sorry, that was very offensive. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend, not, offend you with your video game. I'm more of a yeah. burger a burger time uh, Donkey Kong dude. Oh, what is that? That's Bur an original? Bur burger Time was an arcade game that uh, later showed up on the Intellivision. Um, uh, it was Intellivision. I believe it was made by Texas Instruments. Horrible first generation uh, video game console. And oh. Burger Time, you just, it's like Super Mario. You just got to stay away from the the eggs and the pickles and stuff. And you just go, meep, 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 and you, the bun falls. And then you go down to the, meep, 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 and the cheese and then the meat. I'm not going to say it's as complicated as Skyrim, but uh took me a while to finish it when I was seven. <laughs> Did you play video games? Was that a part of your life, a part of the source of happiness for you at all? It was. It was. I played video games up until around, uh, I think in 2010, I got the Red Ring of Death on my Xbox 360. That was it. That was it. I never, or whatever the Xbox was then. Yeah. I had, I was playing... uh I had finished uh, the the Grand Theft Auto that was out, and mm -hmm. had finished the Red Dead Redemption. So I was doing that thing where you just drive around, uh, you know, the streets of New York, mm -hmm. or just ride around on your horse shooting people, and uh, you know, throwing grenades into into groups of people in uh, Grand Theft. And you're you're describing the same thing that happened a decade later because it's now Red Dead Redemption Two, and there's still not a new Grand Theft Auto, so. Yeah, yeah, there there isn't, right? Yeah, they're working on it. They're always flirting with that idea. Mm -hmm. You know who else plays Skyrim? Another person. The two people I'm a huge fan of from that time in Mad TV is Bobby Lee. He's he plays a, Skyrim? He's a huge fan of Skyrim. He plays every... So he, what Bobby Lee loves to do is to grind, do the boring task over and over, gather mushrooms. Like in Skyrim, you can fight dragons, you can fight all kinds of things, but you can also gather mushrooms and different ingredients to make potions and all that kind of stuff. He loves the ingredients. He's the, you know, in the hunter-gatherer world, he's the gatherer. He's the gatherer. Yeah. I've heard him uh, described that way, and, and he likes to describe himself that way. Uh, I worked with Bobby not too long ago. He came and did a couple days on this thing we were shooting, and uh, I was looking forward to catching up with my old pal. And if you know anything about Bobby Lee, you'd probably be able to predict that he spent that entire time playing farming on his iPad. Yeah. Well, humans are a source of anxiety, and trouble, so sometimes it's good to escape human interaction through video games. Totally. I'm totally. with him on that. He's he's one of the funniest people ever. Totally. What, what, what do you think is, uh, what do you think makes him funny? It's just all the times you've worked with him, the, the non-standard, non-secular way of his being. Bobby Lee is one of the most raw people, raw performers who lets it all hang out to the degree that he will even get naked in front of his audience, which is usually a metaphor for someone doing stand-up. I'm bearing all. Yeah. I'm showing you everything. Yeah. And Bobby will just uh, pull his bird out of his pants. Yeah. I don't think he understands metaphor too much. He uh, embodies metaphor. Yes. He embodies metaphor. He's the gather. We call him the uh, gathering metaphor. Bobby, the gatherer metaphor. He's a metaphor for something else, for somebody else's life. Someday he'll be in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah representing some kind of concept maybe the metaphor itself yeah once once this whole thing falls apart and we are climbing the kudzu vines uh, that spiral up the sears tower like they say in fight club bobby will go back to his gatherer form and be happy as a pig and shit just walking around in a loincloth with his bird hanging out cracking jokes to people and climbing up on them for a stool lap dance or whatever so, he does i'd love to dig into something he he did you guys did a lot of great podcasts together he asked you in a very uncomfortable process of why you don't do stand up. So let me ask you, 
Do you hate money? <laughs> well, I'm originally from Canada. Yeah. So yes. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a freaking pinko uh, socialist. Is that what, uh, where you come from? That's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> I thought the Soviet Union, that is a nice thing to say. Like Could comrade. Call someone a pinko. <laughs> <laughs> right? Comrade. Yes. He's a, he's a good, he's a yes. good socialist. Yeah. Wears yeah. red. <laughs> Like some bold colors, yeah. Yeah. There, there was an interesting tension in your voice and the way you talked about it. There's just not a source of happiness for you. You 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 respect the art form, but it was not something that you were connected to. You, you felt connected to. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I I respect the art form uh, a lot. I and I grew up with all the albums and stuff. I had an older brother and sister, who so I you know we had the we had George Carlin, we had uh, you know Richard Pryor, we had Robert Klein, we had gilda live the gilda radner uh concert we had we had all sorts of stuff but you know i, I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons i, I do feel like a, a career in show business is you know they it never goes the way you plan uh, like most things and i was fortunate enough to get started outside of my native vancouver or in my native vancouver i grew up in the burbs outside and there was a lot of industry there so i was fortunate enough to get started as an actor when i was like 16 so there, there, yeah, there was, there were some times early on where I came up with some stand up stuff and did it, but uh, yeah, I quickly abandoned it. And then, you know, you go through, you do mad TV and stuff. And then, and that's where my, and this is going to sound weird. Do I sound as anxietal as I did when I was on Bobby's podcast trying to avoid his questions? Well, he was giving you this face this whole time that was making the whole just atmosphere feel full of anxiety. So I'm trying not to give you the face. I'm the whole time I'm saying, play cool, play cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, play cool, Lex. <laughs> play cool. You said it out loud a couple of times. I did. Just, you know, you cut that out. Play cool. Play cool, dude. Cut out, cut it out. Maintain, bro. Here's what I'll say. There's two ways to do it. I think it's lame when someone who's done one thing for a while goes and starts doing stand up out of nowhere. Cause I think it's an art form that's, uh, under attack because it's not like anything else you need. Although now you can, of course, you know, make whatever you want. It's the era of self-publishing as far as making a product and putting it out there, which is getting easier, of course. And I can't wait to talk to you about that with, with AI and how it's changing art. Um, but, uh, the, in standup, all you need is a, is a microphone and, you know, perhaps, uh, it'd be good to have some mental illness and then you can just run up there and, uh, uh, talk forever. And I say this to, to, you know, comedians, it's like, you guys have to deal with just an influx of people who aren't sure why they're doing comedy. I would ask comedians, like, I mean, not good ones good ones, you know what they're doing, but everyone else, like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing stand up? Having said that, I am allergic to money. Yeah. Do you think they have a good answer for that? Why are they doing it? Cause I actually like when I'm in Austin, I like going to open mics, just listening. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring to me, both the funny and the unfunny people, because they've been doing it for several years, sometimes over a decade, Yeah, and they're still at it. They're still right there. They're going for the punch. And then especially open mics that are really sad in that there's you know, only like five other people in the audience, and they're usually just other comedians, and they're still going all out as if they're in front of a stadium. But that, to me, sounds like someone who loves it. Yeah, I got no questions for that person. I got questions for someone who goes sideways from here. I'm recognizable doing something, and then I'm doing stand up because it's like 
And truly, look, I, you know, I've been I've been fortunate enough to be in the business for a long time. And at this point, if I came up, I mean, doing live stuff is fun. I have friends that are like, um, you know, some guys who are primarily sketch people, or you would look at them as sketch people, and they can sell tickets for being sketch people. And they and we'll talk about it, and they're like, yeah, you know, I do a monologue, and I do a little stand up, then I do a song, then I do another monologue, then I play off the audience, do a little stand up. Um, but stand up is it's almost like playing music mm-hmm. in that you know people are going up there playing music but what band have you been listening to that's what you're going to sound like so it's really i mean of course i'm speaking from zero experience but i've heard it takes years of course to find your own voice stand ups that when they first go up they're they're doing a, some sort of impersonation of so and so and so and so and then you got you got to pop this audience that that's paying and you're going to get run over by the next person who's coming up and uh it's hard to follow the last person who who went up before you and i i mean that is a really hard way to it's a very it's quite a gauntlet to be in to find your voice comedically but don't you have that same kind of thing with sketch you still have to find your own voice yeah. with uh like all the impressions you do they're just terrible you know they're <laughs> they're different spins on different people they're not like perfect yeah. impressions right yeah so that's the, I mean, that's a similar kind of challenging journey yeah. as stand up. You're just saying they're kind of distinct and you fell into this one and you fell in love with it, yeah. which is like what Mad TV kind of opened you up to. Yeah. As a kid, I literally wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be an actor from a very young age, as far back as I can remember. And I was a class clown and wanted to do comedy stuff and uh, comedic acting and so lar- comedic acting. Yeah. Early on, my my influences were. A very predictable list of uh, guys from from the SCTV, early Saturday Night Live, uh, Monty Python. All of those performers really influenced me. It was later that I saw people like Kevin Klein, who's an incredible actor. I vividly remember being like 12, 13, seeing him get an Academy Award for Fish Called Wanda. And it blew my mind because I was like, he was hilarious. I mean, it was one of my favorite movies back then and now. And uh, he won an Academy Award, and at that point, I I started thinking more about acting. And then I was, like I said, really fortunate to fall in with, um, I mean, I always wanted to do it, and I was trying to hustle this and that when I was a kid, and then I ended up uh, getting represented, and then I, I ended up on a teen show. I was on, I basically, the easiest way to pitch it is it's like a Canadian, my so-called life mm-hmm. with these kids and their lives and stuff. And uh, I did that for like five years. And I really love acting. I really, truly love acting. And I don't, I'm not someone who wants people to know my opinion. So that's another thing about stand up. Like I love the illusion of what I get to do in, uh, in uh, entertainment and podcasting is great for that. But to stand up there and, and, for I don't know, just for me, it's like it would have to all be fantasy, and um, yeah. So Nietzsche said that every profound spirit needs a mask. Uh, you, like you said, you don't like to talk about in your comedy. You don't like to talk about stuff that's personal to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what is that? What if you were to psychoanalyze yourself? <laughs> do you think it's just not something you find funny, or is it? Are you running from something? Um, and uh, it's not your fault, Will. <laughs> it's not your fault, Will. Um, Speaking of another really great comedic actor who's also a serious actor, Robin Williams. One of the best serious actors. I mean, 
I mean, I, I, and you know, one of the funniest people of all time, but as great, as incredible as he was as a funny man, as a, as a stand up and a performer, I almost like his, his serious stuff better. Can I ask you a question about that? What, what do you make of the, that he committed suicide? I think it's, I think it's, I mean, it's super depressing. I, I, I've referred to him as like the Jesus Christ of, of, uh, depression, it's almost like he died for others' depression. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd look at someone yeah. like that and go, "Wait a minute, you're a rock star. Like, you don't. You could just check out if you're not liking your life." And of course, something like suicide begs that you look a little deeper and uh, realize how tortured the human mind can can make someone. Is there some aspect to you? You know, we're in L.A. Is there some aspect of celebrity that is isolating that can make you feel really lonely? Not me. I don't feel no. Not really. <laughs> you feel the love? No, I just feel like I'm not. I mean, it's like I don't know. I've always kind of had a small group of friends, and those people don't. You know, it's like I've known the same people for years and years. You never really felt the celebrity, really. Nah. In L.A., it's hard to. It's hard for people. Nobody cares. They see yeah. you, and then the next minute they see so and so. So it's like, you know, I'm the guy from that. Hey, that. Uh, Mike and Molly, right? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Close. King of uh King of you. You shave your head? You go bald? Are you King of Queens? Nope. It's not me. So <laughs> close. You're wow, uh, shit. You look uh, you used to be the mountain on uh, King yeah, exactly. Game of Thrones. You look like shit. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> just eating fried dough. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what's up. Can't lift any weights anymore. I'm at the gym doing like 15 pounds with shoulder press. Ah, oh! and people coming up to me. You used nah, to be a dragon killer, half dude. Half the man yeah. used to be. Yeah. What's have there been low points in your life? Sorry to go there, no. but uh, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's everybody has a low point in life. The opera you suffer from like depression and any of those kinds of things. You know what I do? I do. I have uh, I have a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and how do you deal with it? Said friends. The friends and the they don't do anything for me. In that sense. <laughs> yeah, no. I have a I have an incredible fiance who uh, that that's nice to have somebody uh, uh, constant that you love very much and see as the best person and all that good stuff. Hopefully, vice versa. Uh, and then, uh, well, on your recent Instagram, she said that she loves you. So wow, you at least allegedly just on yeah, allegedly that might all be for yeah. That's how much all, money did you pay her to say that? <laughs> if I don't, I don't have any because I'm not a stand up. <laughs> I was like, I could do. <clears throat> you got Venmo? Yeah, yeah. I got. I, I only do, have like one hundred and twenty-three. Give some Doge coin. Yeah, yeah, some Doge. Yeah. You got. Yeah. You want some Doge? <laughs> I got some of those monkey NFTs. <laughs> oh, before I forget. Yes. Hold on a second. Oh no. I'll put a dudesy sticker on your microphone if that's okay. Sure. Here. Uh, oh yeah. Now these are tricky because I have the thumbs of a. I have like Italian sausage wait thumbs. And watch yeah, this just wait. happen. I'm just wait gonna. This will take another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Ooh, this is embarrassing. When there's, you are you good under stuff? pressure? Sure. I, I have anxiety. I have performance anxiety. Do you have anxiety? Yeah. You have anxiety. Period. Period. Yeah. I. I like. I don't like it when I if I have to pee and then everyone's waiting, in the urinal. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. You know what'll help you in that situation? What's that? Taking a shit. Because whenever you take a shit. 
you always pee a little. It's hard to take a shit while you're standing at a urinal, but. <laughs> Not in my world. <laughs> okay. You just got to keep yourself full of things that make you shit. Oh, good. Have you ever heard of a banana? I did recently. Somebody told me about yeah, it. Not the showbiz term. I'm talking about the food. There oh. you go. There <laughs> we go. Just... Which way is up? It's this way, it's, right? It's like a D. No, to spin it. There you go. Uh, there you go. There you go. All right. Oh, so sexy. You're like a brand. Yeah. It's very important to brand yourself. These colors. Are you selling shoes? <laughs> yeah, I got some uh, custom kicks coming out. The dudesy, uh, no. Actually, that would be a good idea. You could probably sell a pair or two of those. Speaking of anxiety, I really am only focused on this right now, Lex. I apologize. Yeah, just shit your pants. It'll make it be easier. <laughs> Get on with it. Oh, this thing has been dog-eared in my pocket for a while. I swear this never happens to me. I'm sorry, babe. People don't thumb at a sticker for an hour while they're doing the podcast. No, this is just an excuse you make when you're with somebody and you're underperforming. Well, here's the thing. As you ask me questions that I don't want to answer, I'll just go to this. Go, go to the sticker. So if this, oh, let me, let me if just... this ends up working, then I won't have it as it's a It's funny cut. how you started doing that when we we're talking about depression. That's weird. That is weird. Hmm. Tell me tell me how that makes you feel. Um, Here we are. We got it. Uh, For the listener, he succeeded after 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, no, I do have, I do have uh, some of that stuff. Bobby Lee... Mm -hmm uh has had encouraged me on on wax as i like to say to go to talk about it on podcasts to talk about depression because it could help people yeah. and i said no but um it's true i do i do have some there's uh there's some history in the family how do you so. overcome it well i used to not believe in medication at all i used to think that that was for someone else with uh who's been diagnosed with uh some of the um some of the rougher stuff mm -hmm. But as I got older, the, then some of the stuff happens and, uh, you know, you, you have to, and by stuff, I mean, uh, you know, mental stuff and, uh, and yeah, so I went and I, I just, I believe that the stigma needs to be removed completely. 100%. Uh, and so I've, I, you know, I do therapy, I do talk therapy. I, I'm on a little bit of stuff, which, which let me tell you, when I first started it, I was, um you know, someone I'm close to was like my manager. And she goes, this is too much. But she was like, hey, you don't have to white knuckle it through life, right? Because I was lit literally just like everything became, you know, really hard to do at a level that I wanted to do it at, yeah. even just getting through your day, right? Uh, and when I first um, got some of the the meds that I was on, that I'm on, it felt like doors and windows were opening literally in my brain. I, I took yeah. a, a three-hour nap the first day, and it, you shouldn't even feel this stuff the first day. I think my brain was like, it was like a sponge. It wanted to, I needed some relief. And I, I'm not a nap guy. I can sleep three hours and I'll be fine. Um, but I, I took a long nap and then I, it, started to, it started to help. Yeah, isn't that weird how a little bit of chemistry in your head can, can you just make the whole world appear so much more beautiful? Yeah. 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 I mean, after after all, there you know, there's a lot going on in your brain that can be changed by, you know, your lifestyle, but also so many physical things like a little bit of meds. Or in Bobby's case, uh, you know, thumbing around on some dumb farming app. Well, Bobby's gone through a few rough periods. Oh, with yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, with drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. Totally. So. 
and uh, just everything else involved. I mean, that's the beautiful roller coaster of who he is, and a lot of great comedians seem to be that way. So yeah. I wonder what the connection there is. You, th you think some level of crazy is required for comedy? Yeah. Or, like, at some point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on, on a scale of one to 10, how much crazy do you have? Uh, in some ways, a, a 10. Uh, and in other ways that I think, uh, in other ways, sort of functionally, I'm like a two or a three, because uh, I don't know. Oh, I'm, so you, I'm from Canada, and I'm, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I try to just keep things very even keeled. My mm -hmm. parents are Italian, they're from Italy, and, uh, you know, they're very, they grew up during World War II, and they're very, you know, uh, simple outlook on things. They're complex, incredible, classy people who are, very simple when it comes to a lot of stuff. And, and, uh, I, I think just being a sort of a, at heart, kind of a timid Canadian coming out here years ago as a kid, uh, it was, uh, all I could do to just keep everything super normal. And then I sort of was able to settle into that as a lifestyle. But you love the idea of being a, an actor, like who, um, uh... You mentioned John Candy and uh, planes, planes, planes and automobiles. And automobiles. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. It says yeah. one of yours. What, what do you think that makes that movie work? What, what do you what? Um, and when you when you talk about enjoying that movie, do you enjoy just the raw comedy, or do you enjoy like the friendship and the and the love that's there, even though on the surface it doesn't make any sense that there should be a friendship there? I mean, that's such an important element to that film but uh you know as a kid i just loved the comedy yeah. and then i it's been a nostalgic favorite of mine like it's my favorite movie uh but it's also uh it's just legit my favorite movie because as you get older and you start watching it you realize it's what it's what john hughes is the filmmaker and what john candy particularly and but also steve martin are doing in the film that makes it such a work of art which is loneliness is there in every moment of that film and john candy is he embodies del griffith his character in the film he he del griffith is a lonely guy and john candy but but del griffith is also a very friendly guy and a, and a shower curtain ring salesman and <laughs> knows everybody in the midwest and runs around to motels and has meaningful conversations yeah. with the guy evening gus you know whoever yeah. he's talking to um uh, but there's loneliness there all the time. And, uh, you know, this is a character th these, the film is filled with loneliness and it's not until, you know, the second to last scene when he's at the train station, you know, Dell, what are you doing here? You thought, I thought you were going home. What are you doing here? Um, that's a very good Neil, Neil page from the movie. Thank you. Uh, it, that's when you realize how lonely Glad he is. applause and posts. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. That's when you realize how lonely he is. And I think that's the element from the film that, I mean, look, you know, nowadays, I, I feel like I've been saying this for a long time, but John Candy would have won an Academy Award hands down for that film. It's just they didn't do that with comedies back then. Yeah. Until the year after that movie came out with Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, still comedies don't get respected enough. Robin Williams, he got. I guess he got an Oscar for Goodwill Good Hunting. Good Will Hunting. Um, Jim Carrey, did he ever get an Oscar? I don't know. I don't believe so. No. Yeah, they don't get. You don't. Yeah, well, but that's not even if he did, you wouldn't be for comedies. It's just. I mean, there's some things that are um, 
planes, trains, and automobiles. Would you even put that as a com? I guess it's a comedy. Yeah, I mean, but there's a there is a loneliness and depth that permeates the whole movie. Yeah, that ultimately, and it's a happy ending, which is hard to kind of. It's a happy ending only because in the last moment of the movie, John Candy puts on a brave face, even when he's got no one. No. And he's there seeing Neil Page's entire family on Thanksgiving, and he forces a smile, which is the last, literally the last frame of the movie. And I've said before, if you're not reduced to just a sob, sobbing pile of meat uh, at the end of the movie, then you are not human. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it it is a happy ending. It's a happy ending, even though it's a it's a sad so sad much character loneliness in the world. I was just in Vegas. I went to a diner at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and there's a waitress that was empty. As a waitress, that was the sweetest, kindest human being. Kept calling me sweetheart and all that kind of stuff, hon. And then after I ate, she sat down and just talked to me a little bit. And it was because there was nobody, nobody there, and it was just this, so much sadness in her eyes. I don't know, but it's also so much love, like that sweetheart. That it, I mean, it reminded me kind of. Um, of a, of the John Candy performance because at first because I was like uh reading a pretty dark uh <laughs> uh book about Hitler uh so I I was a little bit frustrated that she kept talking to me because it was like uh it was it's almost like uh the same way that John Candy is it's annoying a little bit right but then very quickly I opened up to like well there's a there's a kind human being and there's like that human connection superseded everything else and i don't know it was just beautiful and i think john candy captures that really well which is like the connection with other human beings sometimes we pull away from that because we have a, a busy life full of stuff to do uh as um steve martin's character kind of characterized he's like a marketing exec or something like that but if you just pause and notice others you can you can really discover beautiful people totally totally everyone's got well i mean everyone's got their their story and you know candy as a person i've never met the man uh but um he's the kind of guy that you know he could he could just walk up to back in the day i would imagine he could walk up to just about any house at least in canada knock on the door and you'd invite him in for dinner <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah it's a it's a that the, you know as you're talking about you know, putting a book down and talking to someone for a while, even though you'd really like to mm -hmm. read your book, it's it's like it's that sort of thing that Candy's character in the movie sort of does that, like Johnny Appleseed. Just can you realize he's just going around making people smile, mm -hmm. you know? And and Neil Page is hanging with this guy, yeah. so frustrated. He's just the he's so exhausting in his big underwear in the sink at the yeah. hotel and everything. And by the end of it, he loves this guy, yeah. you know. Yeah. So uh, it's a good and a bad thing that you uh, have didn't uh, take that waitress with you on a trip, maybe road trip up to Reno. Oh, and, oh, she's she's actually she's out shopping she, right now. We're, shopping. We're, we're we've been having uh, sex multiple times a day okay. ever since. Oh, um, that's nice. That's lovely. How you know, cute! I think she, I'm, I'm sure she's <laughs> married and and happily and has many grandchildren. Okay, uh, and and plus that movie's on. Thanksgiving, I think, right? Or yeah, Christmas, that's right. Thanksgiving. So, like, Thanksgiving just embodies that. Forget about the the busyness and the whatever the career you're chasing 
in life and just take a pause and appreciate yeah. the people you love. Just be with life. your family, yeah. yeah. Or pe- the people, whatever or your family looks friends, like. Friends, yeah. Uh, you have some weird friends, unorthodox friends. The, so so at least in the public sphere. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Bobby Lee, Brian Callen, all those kinds of folks from the Mad TV days. I'm sure there's others. What does it mean to be a good friend? Here in L.A.? Or just in, in world, general? In the world. In the world. Will Sass, world friend. I think it is different here. I think it is. I think, I think there's are, a little bit of a career kind of uh, negotiation, shuffling around, that kind of stuff. Why not, is it different? Well, I, I just mean, I mean, I mean that it's just kind of hard here to to make time for everybody. There's so, there's, it's always been a city to me that is like, will keep you so busy. And every time I go home to Vancouver, after a few days, I start to get a little stir crazy. And I think that being here in, in LA, I go to sleep with a hundred things that I still have to do. And you never, you're never out of stuff to do. And if you, um, you know, when you ask about, are you nuts or whatever, if you're crazy, I mean, look, every, all the, weirdest people from every high school in the United States is like, yeah, I'm going to make it in LA. You know, everyone just comes here and, uh, just another freak in the freak kingdom, as they say at the end of uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, that was a very good Robin Williams impersonation. That was my yeah. Robin Williams as Johnny Depp, as Hunter S Thompson. Yeah. It's not your fault. Will. It's pretty good. Thank you. Could have been you fear and loathing. In fear and loathing. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I would have liked to play his journey. The, the role that, um, that oh yeah, Benicio del Toro gained weight for. Yeah. That yeah. would have been cool. He's just saying, he's just saying, what joke over the line? Yeah. Like that, chewing his face off. I could have yeah. done that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, I think that it's backdoor beauty. That guy is full of good lines. <laughs> yeah, it flip you, it flip you for real. Yeah, um, good actor. He's a, yeah, fantastic actor. I think I think what it takes to be a good friend is just you know presence, just being there. I mean, that's all anyone needs. To be heard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in LA, it is, it is interesting. It is you, you. I haven't seen people that I love in years. Some people just you busy. Know. Yeah, just can busy. you still have a depth of connection, even though, like, one of the reasons I really enjoy doing a podcast, you get to sit down with with actual f- friends of yours and spend prolonged periods of time together that you don't otherwise. That's a good point. You know, I, I've spoken on this podcast to people really close to me. And it's like, if you've never had a conversation without microphones like you do with microphones. It's weird. But yeah. uh, there's some aspect about LA that, you know, a lot of the, especially friends of yours, comedians and so on, they'll do podcasts and stuff. And there's a, I don't know, there's an intimacy to that. Yeah, there, yeah, there is and there isn't. The ones that I do, I mean, I just did uh, Bobby Lee and Andrew Santino's Funny podcast. enough, called Bad Friends. Bad Friends. And afterwards... And my good pal Chad Culchin, with whom I do Dudesy, uh, was with me. Sneakers are coming soon. Sneakers are coming soon. You get your Will foot and your Chad foot. Comes in a size 15 and a nine and a half. Um, and uh, I remember afterwards we were talking. It was just basically me, Chad, and Santino were talking. And Bobby was over there, you know, on his phone. And, <laughs> and then I was like, we, I mean, we didn't spend any time talking about anything it feels like one of those hours that goes by and you realize, I've just been goofing around with these guys, which is- But that's what life is about, right? It's fine. A little bit. It's great. And then I'm like, all right, Bobby. Hey, Bob, I'll see you later. And he's like, like this. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man. Hey, love you, bro. See you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a guy, do you ever just, I just send 
text messages over there to him that yeah. never come back. And then he thinks that I'm angry with him because it's been, you know, it'll go two, three years without him getting back to me. And then just out of nowhere, hey, fuck face. And uh, who says, hey, fuck face? He does or you do? Yeah, or you does. both back to each other? No, I got to be very, I got to be very careful, Dramatic. Bobby. Yeah, yeah I got to yeah. be very sweet. Dear friend. Dear friend, hello. How are you doing? How are you? I know I checked in with you, but uh, not but three months ago. Uh, and then every once in a while, he'll go, hey, fuck face. I tend to hide from the world, and I uh, I'm, I'm, I can be pretty shitty with friends texting yeah. back. Yeah. I, I, I can empathize with, with Bobby. Might, it might be a Skyrim thing. <laughs> it might be a, like hiding in a world, yeah. in a digital world with fake fake NPCs. Yeah. And, yeah. There's that. Yeah. Uh yeah, you know, I have a buddy who said something really smart uh, a while ago. We ended up working together on this uh, TV show thing, and I reached out to him to see if he wanted to do it with us. And uh, he did, and he goes, this is a great guy, such a funny writer. He goes, I may not be in touch all the time, but I know who my friends are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like in our business, and this is a fellow who moved, um, who's from Ontario, Canada, moved back there. He's on the farm with his wife and kids, and he does not care. He's never been a Hollywood guy. And uh, it's tough to get a hold of him. But when you do, you know, he's still the same sweet old guy. He's doing his thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Some of my closest friends, even if we don't talk for a few months, yeah. we're right back at it if we do. And then if shit goes, like, if something really traumatic happens or difficult stuff or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm always there. So, like, so for important stuff. Sure. For important Important highs and important lows, you're there. Yeah. And then yeah, you yeah, pick yeah. right back up, especially if you have those years of experiences together. It's interesting. Totally. Uh, so you've done a couple of podcasts. Yeah. Done. So we've got to talk about Dudesy a little bit. But first, you did for several years, you did the 10-minute podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything is hilarious about that podcast, including the fact that it's 10 minutes. <laughs> right. That means every, every, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. The dynamic is hilarious. It's you, Brian Callen, Chris D'Elia. There, I, I don't, I don't know exactly why it's why it works so well, but it did. It worked really well. I think it's because the yeah, you were having fun. Probably, I mean, that's that what really came through. That that it was friends just talking shit and the tension, the beautiful tension and the absurdity that came out. Yeah. Uh, what? Sure. <laughs> what What was the story of making that podcast? What? How did that came to be? Uh, why do you think it was as good as it was? I don't know. I feel like that podcast was like it was our our who we kind of are, but on steroids or yeah. something. Like yeah. you know, uh, each person, you know, Brian's going to be like extra manly and and. Yeah. Uh, Can you get any more manly than he already is? That's no, very yeah, no, he reaches though, uh, and yeah, we just kind of it's. I, I feel like as goofballs we knew each other's line yeah like here's the line you don't cross i feel like those guys don't really have one yeah. uh but at least they knew mine um and and yeah we were able to just yeah goof around and i did it with them for three years and then chad who i'm doing dudesy with and my pal tommy blacha who's a another writer producer like chad they came on and yeah all, all told we did i did like uh seven years with that thing six five six seven i don't remember do you think it ever comes back in some s small form as as a 20 minute podcast or something like that 
I mean, is there, because uh, it's one of the most requested. I mean, there's you, you have a huge fan base. I'm 47 years old. So I am of the generation that had a cell phone, has had a cell phone half the time and yeah. didn't for the formative years of my life into my early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally got a, like, I got a cell phone, I guess I was like 19 or something. Just, so like literally just because of moving to LA. You got porn in the mail. You got yes, that's right. It was that the hard the hardcover yeah. porn. That's the way we liked it. Ba bound, you know, nice yeah. binding on the yeah. on the porn, the leather uh, next to the Bible cover. Yeah. Yep. Um, these are all my these are my Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica. Wow, very impressive. Yes, a man came to the house and sold me these, yeah. and then down here these are my this is my pornography. Uh, if you'll follow me through here to the par <laughs> parlor, uh, yeah. sir. It's and passed through the generations from grandfather to yeah, father. Yeah. yeah. I want to give you something very special to me, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you grow up in a generation without a cell phone. Yes. I. Um, it's hard for me to connect with people who, who hit me up. I look at everything as polling. So if one person hits me up and shares this opinion, but two other people hit me up and share that, I'm the worst. I'm don't follow my polls. My when people say, "Oh, that poll means absolutely nothing," so and so is going to win anyway. That that's my poll. My poll means nothing. But I do look at the stuff and go, uh, "This many people are saying this. That means that that number is saying that." And yet, it's very hard for me to uh, hear what the hell people are saying online. Yeah. I really, I can't connect to it sometimes personally. So when you say that that's a popular podcast, like I know that, I know that it's popular with the people that have expressed that they love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, what does that actually represent? I don't know. I don't know what yeah, kind of people either. are the audience. I, I don't know. I know that the, the people that listen to the 10 minute podcast, and if you did, thank you. Uh, and we're friends. Uh, I know that it was a it was a special thing because it's like, yeah, hey, we're just doing this out of my house and yeah. we just built it up out of nowhere and we're just kind of clowning around. It's a it's an odd thing. I hope I I personally I think I, I I speak for the two people that have reached out to you that said you should do it or whatever three people the poll yeah that uh, you should bring it back at some point that would be beautiful oh just my God. maybe uh it's like uh what's the, what's a good story of some of like a famous band that came back and was successful probably well Nirvana. It was not. It wasn't Nirvana. Sorry, I get Nirvana mixed up with Aerosmith. Yeah, it was Aerosmith. It was Aerosmith. Yeah, it's not Nirvana. Nirvana. Yeah, they had that different, second ride. Different. Yeah, different totally story. different ending to those two bands. Uh, One ended up on uh, American Idol. Yeah, um, a lot of interesting women involved in that one too. All right, uh, how did Doozy come to be? Doozy, and what the hell is Doozy? Dudesy is the first podcast, and this is exciting that you've asked me to come here today uh, because to hear what you would have to say about it or what you would ask about it. It is the first podcast that is that is run completely by and essentially, I like to say, curated by an AI. Um, we were approached by a company that had this proprietary AI that wants to develop the podcast into the future and figure out exactly what it takes to make the best podcast ever, and it was all we all we we knew from the top and what they really wanted was two people who were actually friends and could be meaningful in the podcast space based on whatever information they have the company cia and are they testing technology <laughs> to control the populace through chatbots 
I'm sorry, I'm not at liberty to share that information. You are, yeah. Who gave you the suit? Where did you get the suit? Where did you get the suit, Will? Yeah, well, the JC Penny CIA stands for something different in here. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean like Central Intelligence Agency. And probably it's just a different. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, Canadian uh, Canadian International Apparel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the Canadian International Apparel Company hit us up. uh, Chad and I. Um, Well, Chad's a super weirdo. You would yeah. get a kick out of him. I know you guys. Yeah. You 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 strike me as a very similar in some ways. And I'll take that as a compliment. It, it is, and it is, uh, <laughs> and it is. Yes. And if I was friends with you for as long as I've been with Chad, perhaps I'd have some horrible shit to say about you. But yeah, uh, the good parts you remind me of him. Yeah. And we were approached by this company that said we have this AI, and we would like to set it loose on you. And essentially, we had to hand over some some information that would allow the AI to, to access our email and uh, look at our search histories, purchase histories, things like this, and um, really dig into... Pornhub included or not? <laughs> yeah. I had to hand over all my leather-bound yeah. uh, 1970s pornography. Um, and uh, essentially, it curates a podcast for us every week, doing dumb things like, you know, it says, hey, Will, you know, you do a Hulk, you do some shitty Hulk Hogan impersonation, Podcasts about news are very popular. This is infomania. You know what I mean? And oh, let me tell you something about that Marjorie Taylor Green dude. And then he's going on doing some news stuff. Um, and it basically just spits out all these things that it wants us to do. Normally four segments an episode. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. It so just it generates tells us what the, to do. It generates the premise. I mean, you've spoken uh, a bit here and there. Like I said, I'm a huge fan. I don't even remember where, but like you you you, you talked about that. You enjoy Doozy because you feel almost like liberated to, um, because you're operating within the constraints of the premise it generates. So you're almost not, you're, you're, you're free to riff essentially. Yeah. Like you don't have, you don't need to do the job of like coming up with the weird. You can just, the weird is given to you and then you just run with it. That's a good way to say it because we're already weird. Chad and I, Chad, Chad can talk for days about all sorts of stuff. He's particularly interested in AI lately and its effect on art. He is a, a writer, books, movies, and TV shows. And um, I'm primarily, you know, acting and trying to come up with stuff. Stuff I write with Chad's pretty good. The rest of it hasn't seen much success. Anyway, uh, nor is the stuff with Chad, for that matter. But um, <laughs> that's because of me. Sneakers. You never oh, know. I can't, oh, I can't wait for these sneakers. Mm-hmm. Only in two sizes. Yeah, only in two sizes. You're going to be able to take the the you know the tongue. You can't take it out because it's actually stitched in. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. Hmm. Um, Velcro? No, the, what? Vel- Velcro or? Uh, yeah, Velcro. Velcro yeah. up the side. We're doing some like brand new kanye stuff yeah we want things to look like this is what you'll be wearing on mars when you get there so cutting it so nike's doing a bunch of research for running how to make a super light shoe that you can be efficient in and break all kinds of running records so you're doing the same kind of stuff we're doing the same kind of thing for the podcasting space the best kind of shoes to sit around and talk to your pal Mm. in um but yeah we so this yeah it's bizarre and it also does some writing dudesy does come up with things but not unlike what we're seeing in AI art now, it's a little bit foggy. It's a little bit weird and it, but it is improving. It is learning about us and writing stuff when it makes me spit this and that, which we'll read, you know, you know, I've prepared these things for you to read. It's impossible not to get a kick out of it because Chad and I are 
first of all, we're blown away that we're doing this. Yeah. And second of all, the some of the stuff is actually very funny. It makes weird names. Like I don't think it understands. It, it messes up some words and stuff, mm -hmm. but that makes it even funnier. And then it it sort of from the beginning started laying on like it says astonishing all the time everything is astonishing mm -hmm. um that's dudesy's favorite word um but yeah it's basically just a way to to frame the podcast you know what i mean because my thing is uh i don't want to do this or actually have to talk to someone you seem to feel a burden of the long form conversation it seems like is that really hard work for you no, not at all. It's just that I don't like to bore people. And I feel uh, like if I go on and I like to provide value yeah. for who, for what I am, you know, your value uh, with regard to this project is, is obviously warrant. It, it's obviously. I'm waiting for the explanation for what the value is exactly. <laughs> two dudes in a suit. No, listen. Yeah. Two dudes in a suit. No, but I mean, you've got your audience and that's the end of that. People find value in it. For me, I. I do feel like I'm, uh, it is important that I, if I'm going to do something that, you know, is going to be funny or that I hope is funny, I just kind of want to get in and out of someone's day and just kind of, I like making, I like making laughy. I want people to, you know, whatever. It's the same thing that anyone else will tell you. Yeah, but in the long form, you feel the anxiety. You did a few funny things, and I wonder if I can keep doing the funny thing. Is that why you you're you feel the like? Why is Doozy relieving you of some of the anxiety? Well, in some ways, it gives me anxiety because I don't know what's coming, ah. and that's weird for me because I like to prepare uh, for things, but it's. That's not what podcasting is. Podcasting, you need to just be malleable mm -hmm. and say whatever and do whatever. Um, and uh, that's what makes it a, a real, I mean, it's look, it's a medium for conversation. And if you're driving along listening to this or anything else, you're, you know, it is that it's the, it's the true meaning of the parasocial relationship because the best podcasts just make you feel like you're sitting around rapping. We're just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. You could even be sitting there agreeing or, talking out loud to yourself if you want. You could just be sitting in silence. Or you could just be sitting in silence in your fancy uh, podcasting shoes. Podcasting audience shoes is a very different build mm -hmm. than uh, the running shoes. Yeah, Would they be also called doozy, the shoes? Yeah, they'll be the doozy shoes. Um, doozy shoes, that's very creative. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing the, the AI isn't good at yet is branding. Everything is just doozy this and that. I would argue that's pretty good branding. I yeah, don't know. Well, doozy allows me to just, it forces me to sit down with Chad and goof around for an hour or an hour plus. And, and, uh, it provides the parameters that I, a lot of times ignore because I'm, I think that podcasting is just two dudes shitting around or yeah. three or four, but, um, it, 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 it sits me down and gives me a premise to, to work with. And then you just riff with it. Yeah. It's fun. It's been a hoot. So from the acting perspective, um, you know, a lot of people like Daniel Day-Lewis will will see acting just like as you described, which is you have your roles, you embrace those roles, and then you disappear. You don't, um, you don't, you don't do podcasts. You don't do any of that kind of stuff. Your art is your art. So is that is that part of you feels that way? I think so. Is that the actor side of you? Yeah. Anytime I get to do something that 
I don't get a chance to do much of or something that people haven't seen me do much of or that I've done on some scale that isn't, hasn't been very wide and not a lot of people have seen it. That's the stuff that I get really excited about. Um, I don't know why I'm, I don't know why, I don't know why necessarily. I haven't answered that question yet in my life, like what it is about being an actor that I love so much because it's not like I don't like to, it's not like I'm trying to get away from myself and play other characters and stuff and not be myself. Um, but it is, it has always been fun to, to just be other people and escape. Yeah. Is there some aspect to the impressions where you become that person? Is that like, what, what, what's that like to, uh, I, I suppose acting is a full on version of that. You really at its best become the character. Is there some fun in that? Yeah, absolutely. If you can play a character for long enough um, and then jump out of it, uh, that's a lot of fun. Like I did this movie like uh, four or five years ago called Inside Game about the NBA gambling mm -hmm. scandal that there, there's a Netflix documentary around, about it right now. And that character, I played uh, Jimmy Batista, Baba the Sheep, uh, who's, you know, this guy who was this bookie and rah, rah, rah. And it's a very, he's, there's a lot going on with him. He's, he's, you know, he's running numbers with the mob and stuff. And there's a lot of money changing hands. That character was so, I got to be, get so deep into that character that coming out of it was, was a little odd or as weird as this sounds, the three stooges was hard for me to, I found that I had, uh, some of Curly's mannerisms just automatically i could not stop them when people when i when i would talk to people they would they would come i wasn't i'm not doing it on purpose i don't want to do that I, like i'm ready to shed it because i've been <laughs> working on it for months and months at that point as far as getting the thing down and then you then you got to shoot and then uh for me it's always i always want to change the stuff i did the day before i'm like that where i'm like i could have done it better and this and that and uh that stayed with you. That character stayed with you a little bit. Totally, yeah. I just feel like with actors, sometimes when you listen to interviews, they have spent so much time sort of living inside other characters that yeah. they they almost don't have a depth of personality themselves. Like a depth, like I, I don't mean that as a negative thing. It's just like it feels like the art form at its best is pretending to be other people. Uh, or like and even pretending sounds negative, but like no, pretending. bringing certain characters to life. Yeah, yeah, That's embodying. Embodying. Look, a weird thing happened while we were doing Stooges because you've got a very heavy blueprint. Yeah. We're following this very clear blueprint that the Stooges left for everybody, and it, for Stooge fans and people enjoying the movie, it's got to be this: you take your toolbox that you're used to bring into a comedy movie, you leave it, you leave it behind. The only tools I'm bringing are the ones that he used. And a weird thing started happening where I would, I always saw the whole thing happening with the real Stooges in black and white. So I, if we're about to shoot a scene, I would just, you know, think about, I mean, aside from all the other preparation, you know, you know everything and what you're supposed to do. And I've been watching so much of it. And the three of us are, we're pretty much left to come up with a lot of the, the, the striking combinations and all the stuff, which is all real smacking and all this crap and the stuff that we were doing that was very stoogy. Uh, you're preparing all that stuff, but something else was happening before you jump into a scene and the unknown of now we're shooting it and here are these uh, parameters w within to shoot this scene. 
I could still see it as them doing it. So much so that when I saw the movie at the premiere, I was like, who's this big fuck doing? Because I'm not curly to me. Curly yeah. is curly. But I feel so like- So you're seeing yourself in black and white almost. I was seeing him. I was, yeah, I was only seeing him. So I channeling could, in some fundamental way. In some weird way, you're channeling him because yeah. you've seen so much of it. The only thing you know about Jerome Lester Horowitz is curly. I'm not saying he was exhumed or something or his spirit went in me or some weird, you know, crystal mommy shit like that. I'm saying that this, because you know so much of it and because of the heavy blueprint that they left with you, you are, you're channeling what that person does and you're, you're, I was seeing entire scenes, you know, before you do them the way he would do it. Mm -hmm. And then you want a couple takes to make sure that you're doing it right. But uh, that was hard. That one was hard to let go of some of them are do you think larry david who was also in there dressed as a nun also had trouble letting go of that we, we mentioned clothes make the man yeah i think that worked for him in that case man you know he uh was it like working with the guy oh, come on he's the greatest and he's a he's a big stooge he's a stooge fan and him and pete Farrelly are good friends and then but then larry david has to show up and hang out with us for a couple of weeks He's like, I didn't realize it was going to take this long, you know? <laughs> but, uh, ah, shit, I got to be out here in Atlanta. It's yeah. boiling hot. But at one point, uh, there was this line where he kept doing a, he would just spit a different line every time. He was, like, getting hit in the head with something. He's laying there on the ground, and he goes, he, like, comes to, and he says, at one point, he goes, Miami audiences are the best audiences in the world, right? And because he's loopy. Now, he's playing a nun at the at the uh, orphanage where the three stooges grew up yeah. and i'm super intimidated by larry david he's a genius and stuff and 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 but i walk up to him and i go uh so he's what is he like a like a borscht belt florida comedian who <laughs> is on the lamb and so he's dressing as a woman he ends yeah. up at, a, at an orphanage yeah. like what's going on there yeah. and he just and he looks at me and just goes <laughs> like, like i'm like yeah he's got yeah. some like actor motivation like yeah. of course he looks it's larry david yeah. in a nun's habit yeah. which is hilarious yeah. that's such a pete Farrelly casting thing it's you know and he but he's doing this whole like what a warm audience you yeah. know like yeah. like oh he's like this catskill comedian who's been living in you know so that's Boca what he's Raton. like living through in his mind is he's having fun with it right I mean, that and probably a combination of that and getting the lines right. Because yeah. he's like, what are we doing here? What is, yeah. you know, yeah. just frustrated all day with what the heck we're trying to do. What do you think makes, I mean, that guy's one of the best improv people ever. Yeah. So what do you think makes him so good? Like, what, why is it so c compelling to watch that guy? Because he's a comedic genius. Like, he literally, he knows what he does. He's been a writer for 50 years or whatever. And he's and he just happens to be that brilliant. I mean, yeah. I've gotten a chance just to do, I did a, uh, just an episode of Curb, a small part. And it's crazy what he sees. I don't know what he sees. As a matter of fact, so I auditioned for it, uh, for Curb, like, you know, two or three times, right? And never got anything. And then uh, it was only after working with him on the Stooges that I got a call to do a bit part. But I remember auditioning. You go into that into that room and the guys waiting are all people that you know. You're like, oh, I know them. I know her. I know him. And uh, so I went in. I auditioned for this, for this part. And um, the only thing I know of the thing is like, okay, so you really want to go to this play with me 
you really want to go to this plane. When you hear that I have an extra ticket, you sincerely want to think. And I'm like, got it. And so that's the premise, the premise of the scene. And that's all, you know, it's all I know. And so he goes, he does his bit and I'm just supposed to come in and interrupt. And I'm like, excuse me, I couldn't help, but here you guys were talking about, you know, whatever the play was or, you know, death of a salesman. I am, I'm a huge fan of that play. I I mean, if it's not, if it's not, if you're looking for someone to take a ticket, I, I, I would love to go. My name's so-and-so by the way. And he goes, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you. And I'm like, he goes, you really, you, I mean, you truly want to go to this play. And I go, yes, yes, sir. You really want to go. You actually, this is, you would love to do this. I go, okay, let's try it again. So then he's like, no, no, no. And I go, Hey, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I was just, I, I couldn't help it over here. You have uh, tickets to the thing. I am the biggest fan of that. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop you again. Okay. I mean, you really want to go to this? <laughs> and I'm just like, he's fucking with me, right? Yeah. And I remember Jeff Garland was sitting there in the audition. He goes, he did it. He said it. What? Shut up. No, hold on. Listen, mm-hmm. you really want to go? Okay. Three or four times, you know, there I am. I couldn't help but notice it. And then I, I do it again. I guess I shit the bed because he looks at me. He just goes, okay. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for coming up. And that was it. And I didn't get it. So I still, I don't know what the heck that guy's thinking. He yeah. sees... He's in the Matrix. I don't know what the heck Larry David sees. You know what I mean? He wanted, what, some kind of more desperation or something like this? <laughs> he wanted a level of sincerity that I that I thought I was bringing, and I guess I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Maybe go crazy? Like, what does it mean to really want? Yeah. I should have grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and go, yeah. listen, Dad, you're bringing yeah. me to this fucking play. Yeah. I would have got the part. As a matter of fact, I heard about someone else. And I don't know who the heck this was. I forget who it was, but I've heard this story from a couple different people that there's this actor, and I can't, I don't remember who it was. If I did, I probably wouldn't say it out loud anyway. But he, Brad Pitt. He, it was Brad Pitt, and he was in this audition, and he was, and there it was out in the hall. He's like, holy shit, George Clooney, Leo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, this actor went in and he did the thing, and um, Larry David was like, hey, why don't you try it again? And he got like a couple takes in, and he went, I don't think this is for me. And he left, which an actor never does. Yeah. And uh, as the story goes, Larry David shouted after him, I respect that, which I think is true. And I want to believe that entire story is true. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like something Larry David made up. (laughs) Bobby Lee told me that story, so we can't, yeah, we can't trust that. Um, What about impressions? Is there similarity between that and acting? Do you... Is there some fundamental way in which you become the person? If you have a couple of the things, you can just fill in the blanks. And I think the illusion is that people think that that person would say that and do that. And that's where the illusion of, oh, he really embodies the character. Mm -hmm. It's like, once you know someone's mannerisms, you can essentially portray a person from the outside in. Yeah. Because you have all the stuff on the outside. And you can do it and complete the illusion. And if it's for humor's sake, you're going to caricature it, totally. therefore making the whole illusion st- stronger. And uh, also weirder. Like I like yeah. to, on Mad TV, if I did something two or three times, I'd get bored of it and I'd start changing it. And, you know, mm-hmm. now he talks like this. And it's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. It's fucking no one's it's late at night. Do whatever you want. But people still kind of know <laughs> that that character, is, is, especially if you just call it out. Yeah. There aren't many impersonations that I 
listen to myself do and go, Ooh, that's a good one. You know, like a lot of people mm-hmm. like, like I think Frank Caliendo is like yeah. the greatest impersonator of all time. He's the best, it's period. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And he's got a record button and a broadcast ability that nobody has. I, I really, tr- there's, he's cracked impersonations that I'm like, how is he, how does he find, he's got such an ear, but then he's got all the other tools. Uh, I remember actually, my last season of Mad TV was also his first season. Hmm. He comes up to me when I met him and we're just up there in the writer's offices and he goes, hey, nice to meet you. And he goes, Louis Anderson, because I was doing a Louis on the show. And he goes, Louis Anderson. I go, yeah. He goes, hey, you're doing it wrong. And I was like, oh, am I junior? You know? And he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, because you do this, but you got to throw it up here sometimes. I was like, oh my God, can I use that? Of course. Yeah. And then we became, you know, we became fast friends. Yeah, his John Madden is amazing. Ridiculous. I forget. It's just, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. He really, really, really embodies the person. And sometimes not even with a caricature. It's like, it becomes the person. It's so strange. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, do the impersonation and then for, not forget you're doing it, but forget everything else. Yeah. Like just... Just goof around. Of course, yeah. the, to me, it's funny when some, when you sound like someone and you're saying the shit that they would never say. Yeah. Well, then there's no, you're, you're, you're letting go of that part, that tool in illusion that keeps people in. But to me, it doesn't matter because it's funnier. Yeah. So what was the hardest impression for you to work on? I mean, it's somebody you struggled with the most. I was, I, I'll never forget. I had to do a Michael Caine in my first season at Mad TV. It never got good. It never got good. It did it all week. It wasn't good. We shot it. The first take, it was shit. Second, third, and fourth, it was all shit. Well, his voice is really important, right? His, yeah. Uh, what is it like? More, it's like doing an impression of Morgan Freeman or somebody like that. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you I, can't get the voice. Yeah. That's my Morgan. Here's my Morgan Freeman. Ram, 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 Andy Dufresne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he want to Yeah. I like your Trump, too. I don't know where I heard it, but... It's at like I love the impressions you do that don't sound anything like the original. Person. I can't do Trump. I I do. That's, that's why it's hilarious. Absolutely. I, my Trump now I say just sounds like a like a fat B because it's just uh, yeah exactly. That's the and everybody a little drunk, a little drunk. Yeah, just a little slurry. Yeah, yeah. I dig doing impersonations and then not like just making it whoever. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny. <laughs> That'll so be the, the title of my book. My, uh, so Kane was the one you really struggled with. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I could only hold my head a certain way to do it because uh, I had gotten locked into this research tape that I watched. Back then they would give us, you know, now there's the internet. But back then you were, if you were going to do an impersonation, the research department uh, would give you a VHS tape. And I remember I got this VHS tape of Michael Caine's acting school, like this acting class he did. He's like, right, you know, if you're looking at the left eye and the camera's over here, see, then the left eye. So you want to look at that left eye for hours, you know? And so I was like stuck in this weird yeah. thing that made no sense. And uh, it was terrible. So the uh, the actual process is the record and the broadcast. Yeah. I also wondered like what the process is to, to do like a Frank Caliando level impression. Is it like listen to a lot of footage? I think he, I think, I mean, or speaking for just, myself, I think you either have it or you yeah. don't. Like, you know, if you yeah. can do this one or you can't. Yeah. 
I think that process for him is lightning quick. But I also think he he can look at someone who he does not do, and then by the end of the afternoon, he can do it. You know, and you have an intuition who he can uh, who who he can do. Yeah. I mean, so the the question that applies there is, I mean, speaking of doozy, is 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 it is it possible to capture the essence? How difficult is it to capture the essence of a human being <laughs> when you're doing impressions? You know that we are moving towards a future when AI potentially this kind of avatar world where we're going going to have AI representatives of who we are. The really interesting one is after we pass away, sort of um, our relatives may want us to stick around in some form. Yeah. And, you know, the, at one sense that might be scary, but in one sense it's kind of beautiful because the the essence of the human being persists so you can still bring joy to the to the people that love you and that kind of stuff. How difficult is it to capture that? Like, if you were to try to capture yourself, you think how difficult it would be to, for an AI system to create a uh, Will Sasso avatar that persists? Well, I think it's impossible. I think it's absolutely impossible. I'll get into uh, arguments about this stuff with Chad on the show almost every episode. Um, lately, with you know Mid Journey and Dolly and all this, all the art uh, AIs, and now it's moving into video. and And Chad would maintain, hey. Pretty soon, we're not going to need Netflix. You're just going to go, I want to see Stallone do this movie, and it's about this, and he plays that. And then here it comes, and you watch it. Hmm. I don't think that that crosses over to the human experience. Uh, this is also a guy I like to bug Chad and say that uh, he wears a tag around his neck because he wants to be cryogenically frozen, and it's all set up. He's at the – it's somewhere in Arizona or something. Yeah. Like, it's, I forget all the, what it's called. All the fun things are in Arizona. Yeah. And he's got the, literally the tag around his neck, which I say, if you're, if I'm around when you die, I will rip that off for you. I'll put you in my garage freezer, and then 24 hours later, I'll saw your head off with a bread knife, yep. and I'll deliver that to whomever. And <laughs> it's not you're not go, you're not coming back. Okay. He's like, yes, we are living forever, whether we like it or not. And I disagree. I don't think you can find. If I did stand up, then uh, there would be enough information for an AI to completely duplicate me because I'm up on stage just clearing my throat all over people doing therapy that way. Yeah. And uh, so, and people paying a two drink minimum to hear it. But as it stands, unless it's something like Dudesy, an AI that literally has access to everything that I've shared, um, everything that is observable, even the stuff where our phones are or the NSA or whatever it is listening to us. Uh, finding out what algo to punch us into and what shoes to buy on Instagram, I still don't think it's going to have enough information to duplicate me, especially to my family or my friends. It's going to be like that Black Mirror episode where the gal brings her her guy back, and then after a while, he gets pretty creepy. Uh, yeah. You know, they have. But it's also possible that if you interviewed your friends and family, what they love about you. The things they would list is is pretty. It's a small list. They love you deeply, but the list is small. Like the thing that really we appreciate about each other is pretty small. That said, to deliver on that small quirks and uniqueness, it might require some deep intelligence that only humans currently possess. So, That's a really good point. Yeah, Do I, you think that it's going to be possible to keep a person around? Yes, I, I think. Um, I think. I think it'll be definitely possible to keep the essence of a person in a digital world 
pretty soon. Yeah. Wow. And I think they're going to start to have questions about what are the ethics of that? What are the rules around that? Yeah. Because if you can have digital forms of Will Sasso, the kind of things that people would want to do with their Will Sasso. Right. In the virtual world, I can only imagine. Sure. Uh, probably porn and sexual kinds of things. Yeah, my stuff, then that's just because I'm an international sex symbol, so I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, what? How do you feel about sentience? Like when it comes to, because again, my pal Chad will be like, you know, speaking of Black Mirror, he's with that San Junipero episode, School of Thought, where there's going to be some, you know, effing mainframe somewhere or some matrix-like structure built into the sky. And as I like to say, everyone just sitting there pissing and shitting in their blue matrix gel in a little fishbowl. Do you think that we can upload consciousness? Do you think that'll ever be possible? Well, I don't know. I just talked to Ray Kurzweil. Uh -huh. I don't know if, if you know who he is, but he- uh, Yeah, the, who, the, the singularity, singularity and all that kind of stuff. So he's very, still holds on to in 2045, there'll be a singularity, which essentially, he's been predicting that for the last, uh, 20 years and the, the, so now it's 2045 and in another 20 years. I think uploading consciousness is extremely, extremely difficult. I, I think creating a copy of you such that it creates a convincing replica is much easier, but uploading your actual brain into the cloud, I think is really, really, really difficult because the entire evolution of life on earth is the process by which we created the brain. Just shortcutting that, it just seems extremely difficult. Our brain is the most marvelous and complicated machine that we know of in the universe. To duplicate that is extremely difficult. That said, I just feel like you can summarize a lot of really important aspects of a person's life such that it captures their essence their memories, their experiences, their quirks, their humor, their, all that kind of stuff. I've been continuously impressed by what language models are able to do. So these neural networks, they're, they're at the core of chatbots. They're able to learn some beautiful things about some deep representations of language to where the, it looks awfully a lot like they understand the concepts being conveyed versus just mimicking. That's, I think, the rub. And that's very interesting. First of all, let me say that's really interesting to hear you say that. And I and I agree with you as far as uh, no machine being able to duplicate the brain machine. And I can't, and my pal Chad disagrees to a certain extent, though he's not here to defend himself. I can't wait to go back and rub that in his face and yeah. say that Lex Friedman uh, does not think that we'll be able to truly upload consciousness. And the, the you know, you you refer to it as, uh, language, mm -hmm. which is what it is. It's 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 the illusion on the outside. It's doing an impersonation. Um, I think that that's why that, and I don't know, even though my suit is made by the CIA, that that fella who, the, the Google guy, uh, to me, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I don't know a whole lot about this stuff, but so I could probably make an argument for for either side. But when he's like, no, this thing's thinking, part of me is like, you idiot, you fell for it. It's not mm -hmm. thinking, it's mimicking. It's just, it's clearly zeros and ones. You're fired. Like, you don't get it, right? Guy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, you can simplify human relations uh, in the same way. Like, um, 
love is a silly notion between human beings. Like the, the you, of course, there's no such thing as love. You just have a mutually. Uh, there's a mutual relationship that minimizes risks, and uh, you can explain it all kinds of ways that explains why you have an attraction towards another being, all that kind of stuff. Through an evolutionary biology perspective, uh, why a long relationship together is good for your offspring, blah, blah, blah. Like there's all kinds, from an economics perspective, it's a good way to establish stability, therefore monogamy works because then you're guaranteed like uh, some kind of level of stability under uncertain economic conditions, all that kind of stuff. But love is still experienced, it still feels real. and. I think in that same way, love for AI systems will also feel real. In the same way that that guy from Google experienced, I think millions of people will be experiencing in the next 10, 20 years. I agree with everything you've said personally. Until the last thing? But no, just, just with regard to, well, Look, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm an actor who has talked about my cute Italian parents. So you know that uh I mean I'm You're romantic a bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, enough, right? And uh you I can tell you are too, but you you are also you know, a, a computer scientist and you know this shit better than 99.9% .9 of people on the planet. My pal Chad agrees with you that love doesn't exist. I don't agree. So that's the one thing that No, I was I was just saying that you could argue away love, but I am a romantic. I believe that love is is a beautiful thing and it exists. Now, at this point, I, I'm going to call Chad on my drive home and yeah. tell him to fuck off. Yeah. Because now you and I agree. You're fired. Just whatever the, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're fired. He's like, you it's can't like, no, fire you're me. you're fired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'll go, is it? Yeah. And he'll say, what? I'll go, is it? And yeah. I go, that's my Trump. Yeah. That's my ish. It's a good default impression for anyone. <laughs> it's the take-home impression. Yeah. The kids can do it. Yeah. It's yeah. cute. Mm -hmm. Put a giant tie on them. You should do an instruction on how to do it. Yeah. Trump babies. That would be a cute. That would be a good. That'll bring the country together. Trump, Trump babies, babies cartoon, like Muppet babies. Yeah. Don't let me take us out of what we were talking about. Um, what were we talking about? Well, love and the, the, the illusion of a, an AI being yeah. able to... Look, I like to say, well, not I like to say, I've learned that Dudesy is always listening and listening to me and Chad. And I wonder if, I see, I see the level that this AI is at now trying to chum around with us and pal around with us yeah. a little bit as we move forward in the show. And I, I feel an affinity towards this AI a little bit. Because it is the third dude. Will you miss it when it's gone? If it's gone? That's a really good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's there's that. That's yeah. scary. In terms of ability to reason, it's getting quite incredible. There's a lot of uh, demonstrations of it being able to explain jokes. So, which is not necessarily being able to generate humor yet, but able to explain why something is funny. So there's uh like puns and all those kinds of things. There's there's good benchmarks for that. But you know, if you tell a joke, there's a lot of unspoken stuff that we figure out in our head and it clicks and we understand that it's funny. AI is not able to do that. Right. But it's not able to generate the joke yet, as far as I've seen. I would say that I I mean, just in my experience, I would say that it does because just because a dudesy is literally 
I'll give you another weird example. It's writing a diary of mine from my childhood that is not accurate. Mm -hmm. It's only partially accurate based on the stuff that it can pick up about my life from the age of like 15, of which there isn't much. But I guess we're not, I don't know that what well, we are. We're laughing our asses off at what the at what Dudesy is saying. Well, I would say you're laughing. You're, we're, we're laughing our asses off at the collaboration between the human and, and the machine there. That's a good point. Yeah. Be it's, because it's it's basically introducing absurdity and uh, into the equation and the kind of absurdity that would, together with you, create like hilarious stuff. Yeah. But like on its own, I guess it is in some way writing material for you that's funny. Yeah. But it's it, very specific to you. It can't do stand-up on its own, I guess, is what I'm saying. That's a good point. And that would be terrifying to see an AI stand-up that can actually read a room, come up with jokes that could complete that illusion for an audience. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying, that it needs to be a confluence of both of those elements. And then, as you said, like, mm, it kind of is. It is. It is. It's kind of... Even though it's just for us, and I guess this is, I hadn't really thought about this up until right now, that in that this company approached us and was like, here's this AI, and it's 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 a podcast AI, it's like, it, it chose Chad and I for the reasons that I told you, you know, it's like, here's two guys that do the podcast stuff, they're actually good friends, and it knows what's going to make us laugh, but what is humor uh, to... Uh, when it reaches its audience, but the kind of stuff that makes other people laugh. At Mad TV, all we were doing was it was a group of actors and writers, and and writer actors and vice versa, and um, uh, who were at at its best. That show was a group of people making each other laugh. Yeah, you know. And then because we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the feed the immediate feedback. Uh, we had a message board or something. We had emails at the very beginning, mm -hmm. which, check this out. People would, if you have a question or comment, Mad TV at whatever, uh, and we would get the emails on a Monday morning, mm -hmm. and they would be in a binder or two like uh, this, and they would make their way around the office. And Who's got like, the emails? Yeah. Oh, they're in Brian's office. You and this is like there. your poll? Like your, your, this is opinions from people of, about different things? The emails that, yeah, the people, like literally just writing Mad TV emails. Like what kind of stuff a message they board. Well, the ones like I remember fans? most vividly, yeah, were fans saying, uh, you suck? Yeah, you suck. Like a lot of that when I first started the show for real, you know, because it's new and you're really? a new person. It's like, who's this fat bastard? I feel like if it's printed out, it hurts more. That's a good point. Yeah, when you're reading it off of paper and you can literally crunch it up in yeah. your hand. But also it was like, um, you know, I would like to see, insert weird idea from some 14-year-old, you know, I want to see Stuart do this and Swan that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was, it it's a- uh, It was a kind of dudesy. But human, it was yeah. It was a very shitty dudesy in a in a loosely finder. But the the um, the thing about uh, the show was we're trying to make each other laugh, and dudesy has found Chad and I who we make each other laugh. But it's joined in, and it's it. it listen, when I finished doing TMP, uh, ten minute podcast, ten minute the ten minute podcast, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in the podcast space. And this thing found me. Yeah. And it is 
genuinely cracking me up. Anyway, I've said enough about that. But I, but I do think that it's figured something out. With I mean, it's a really interesting idea of AI generating the premise. I mean, I, I do think in the future AI will be able to generate comedy. I mean, Stand up is obviously the hardest form mm-hmm. because it's ultimately li- it has to be live. Uh, I think AI will be able to generate memes. So there's like steps, totally, right? Totally. And then it will be able to generate a Twitter account that people follow because it's funny, like qu- like quips and stuff like that. Almost like a, it's a good example. Like Conan O'Brien is a good, I think, Twitter. Yeah. Where it's like one-liners, two-liners, that yeah. kind of stuff that's in tw- tweet form. And then eventually um, stand up where the timing and the chemistry of the sp- the, the comedian and the audience matter and then per- perfecting that. But I feel like all the information is there for, for, to optimize over. So I, I think that's the future and that forces us to, to, um, to contend with what is, what is, what do we find compelling and beautiful about the art form itself? So certainly in art that's being pushed, that question is being raised, you know, is, is AI like a fundamentally worse artist than a human being? Why do we appreciate art? Is that that's something you guys have talked about? What do you think about all the um, Dali and and uh, uh, all the diffusion based methods that are being generated, that are being uh, that are generating art now? What do you think about that? I know I'll tell you what I think, but I also feel like what I'm saying is I sound like the guy who didn't like that Bob Dylan brought in the electric guitar. Uh-huh. You know, I'm start. I, I the more I talk to Chad about it, the more I feel like Grandpa who doesn't want to let go of this or that, or I'm not ready for the printing press or the horseless carriage. But I do feel that the that art is a connection between people. It's, it's when you look at a beautiful painting or a sculpture, you're seeing the humanity of the person that, that brought that painting to life or sculpted this incredible piece of art. And I think without the human being there to make it, it's not worth as much. Just to have it, uh, there because the art it's 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 advanced i've seen it advance i don't know you tell me but i feel like just in the past three or four months i'm just a consumer as far as that stuff goes i'm not on the inside i don't get it even but it's been getting a lot better the the betas that they're releasing right absolutely one of the big breakthroughs i mean dolly really started it is that if you train a system on language it turns out there's a lot of language and images on the internet, but language is really where it's at in terms of the depth of human knowledge. And so if you train a system on language, it's able to generate some incredible art. And that was the breakthrough. With the same kind of mechanisms, they're called transformers, they're able to, when scaled, capture some deep representation of the language that's on the internet. And so yeah, that the, the things it's been able to generate to me look, like it's novel, like it, it doesn't look like it's mimicking anything. It's look at, like it's creating totally new ideas and they're beautiful and they're interesting and they're all the ways that we think uh, that art is interesting. The only thing it's missing is the scarcity that art often has, which is, you know, it takes a lot of work for one artist to create one piece, of, one human being to create one piece of art. And I could just generate endlessly and that, that makes us appreciate the thing less for some reason. Do you have any sort of this, uh, similar opinion that I do that if art doesn't come from a human being, it's inherently worth a little less? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's the human being, but 
the artist matters right uh, for me and uh, i think some of that has to do with the world view of the artist and the backstory the memories that the the life that led up to this piece of art the the perspective they take on the world the 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 journey they took through the world, the struggle, the triumphs, all that kind of stuff. But I think AI systems can probably have the same. But they, we would have to, as opposed to treating it as a one black box, it would have to be an artist that has a Twitter account and and they have a consistent personality, they have a consistent avatar. Yeah. And I think down the line have something like human rights. But then it really becomes awfully like a person. Oy, that's terrifying. As much as I dig dudesy, that's terrifying. I hope uh, it's yeah. terrifying. Like you know, a lot of things that came with the internet in the digital age are terrifying. Porn is terrifying. The mass, like the amount of porn that's online now, is terrifying. The uh, like you mentioned, Bob Dylan with electric guitar. I would I would compare it more to the leap from to uh, sort of to the Napster and the um, the Spotifyization of music, which is like you have these. It's less about albums now, and it's more about individual songs, and it's much easier to deliver the songs, and it's more about sort of the engagement of the listener versus uh, like signing the artist and di di like a distribution of the artist and so on. So it's just changing the way we consume stuff, and uh, human interaction is changing into meaningful interaction even if some of the entities involved are not human yes and uh i feel like you know now like as i say oh i feel like grandpa who doesn't want to wait all day for or, or who enjoys waiting all day for a baked potato as anyway dana carvey would say it's another story but uh, uh where's that from that's from uh, the remember he did this bit on saturday night live where he's like i'm a I'm an old man, and I like things the way they used to be. You know, like, if you wanted a baked potato, you wouldn't put it in the microwave. You had to... And then, long story, yeah. uphill both ways and digging the yeah. potato and baking it all day in a yeah. fire. But um, uh, I'm like that grandpa now, and yeah. I know that, you know, kids coming along, you see over the past 10 years, like, babies literally knowing how to use an iPhone, and it's terrifying. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I'm a little worried because I'm like, are you... Is the future gen are the future generations going to be able to understand that this is not, not that it's not real? It's just I mean, it's, it's, it's it, as a matter of fact, it is real. It's real. It's what you perceive. Perception is reality, and in, in you know, ninety nine percent of reality in a lot of ways, especially in a digital world where everyone is now. And then with the metaverse, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> they really truly. I, I think people will figure out you see people on like a, on the train public transit and so on they're staring at their phone mm -hmm. i think you have to remember that the reason they're staring at their phone i mean there's a lot of reasons but one of the reasons is they're connecting with other human beings they love on that phone so it is a source of happiness and joy now social media has a lot of negative side effects that we're all talking about and learning about and i think that means the next generation of social media uh social networks will be better and we'll learn how to do it in a healthy way we're just entering a new digital world that will keep the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff oh i hope so that's really optimistic that sounds great <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i mean, it. I mean, I mean it. it because i think that we're in 
we're clearly in the wild west still yeah. of the internet. And just when you think you're out of it, the internet proves uh, another way that it can be dangerous and detrimental to uh, to people um, and populations of people. And uh, it's terrifying to me. It's it it is. It's terrifying. Let me ask you a bunch of random questions. Okay, you ready? All right. Uh, if you can be someone else for a day, someone alive today, who would you be? Somebody you haven't met. Oh, that's a really good question. It could be dead. You know, let's I change okay. my mind. Right. It could be somebody dead. I think any answer that I have right now would be something that would be based on some sort of experience, like. You know what I thought was very interesting was uh, last weekend or whatever, the tribute show for Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins was the drummer for the Foo Fighters, and he passed away yes. tragically. And um, uh, so the so the Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl and, and everybody, they got together this concert. And you're watching Dave Grohl um, sing, try to sing times like these, right? And he's, he's breaking up because he lost his friend, his brother. And I was watching that, and he's at Wembley Stadium. Uh, as I say this, I realize that I would not want to be him uh, in that moment. But I am curious what that would be like. That's the ultimate, like, having to perform despite something extremely human happening and uh, a stadium full of people that love Dave Grohl and love Taylor Hawkins and love a rock concert and love these artists that they're getting to see. Uh, up on stage so Crazy. much love and so much pain at the same time i wonder what that would be like to be i guess and i think that's just sort of coming from the root of being a performer and uh being in front of that many have you ever had to perform while some rough stuff is going on in your in your personal life just yeah. mentally yeah sure is that how tough is that um i i can i'm fortunate enough to be able to compartmentalize uh i I, you know, a lot of actors like to use some of their stuff if you're doing something that, um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's some acting techniques that sort of channel it. Yeah. That, which I think is kind of, I don't know that that's, I don't know. For me, it's not really the thing. Cause I think if the writing is, is, is great, uh, the writing is really good. You don't need to channel much. You need to invest in what's there and the, the, what I've always loved about that illusion is really cracking a scene, getting it to a point where you are feeling all of it. And the most edifying stuff I've been a, a part of as, as an actor, and uh, I would say that it mostly comes out of dramatic work, is, uh, is when, you're, when you actually feel the emotions that your character would feel. Yeah. Truly. And it's not because you're pulling from a tragic thing that happened or a lost loved one or a lost love, or any of that. I just did this one movie where, where you know, we're doing the thing, and uh, it was a wonderful cast and a great film, and and uh, I'm giving a speech at a wedding, and uh, and it really got to us. Like, it got to me, and then one of the other actors came up and and hugged me in the characters that we were, and but the stakes of his character and what he's walked into and the family that he's marrying into and, and what my character, my character's wife want for my wife's sister and this whole thing. And it all became very real. That was a set where the director showed up to set every day, making sure that emotionally, and it was a very dramatic film, 
making sure that emotionally the table was set for his actors. Great crew and a really nice, tight, little, quick family, as a lot of these movies are. Uh, you you really love working with these people, and then it's over. Uh, but I, 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 that's when you feel the drug. Like yeah. it's like when you're golfing and you you, you for, and, and it's on the green. You're like, oh, I get it now. So in the words, you can find the emotion. The the words summon the emotion. The humanity is you know? right there. If you read a yeah. great script, you're gonna you're gonna sob in your living room. You know what the the saddest, the toughest thing about being an actor is from my totally outside perspective is from the people I've interacted with is how intimate that process is between the group of people that create a thing that's a movie and then you move on to the next thing. It's almost, it's like a, I don't know. It's, I mean, that's why people have relationships on set. They get, they fall in love. Totally. It's totally. so sad. I mean, like that's why I think of the acting world as like, you fall in love with each other, essentially. You become close friends, and then you move on because that's kind of the process of career. You know, like the example I just gave, if you're doing it right, yeah, there is a certain amount of that happening. But I do still feel like you can, you got to compartmentalize it, and you've got to be able to wash it off as soon as it's over. Prostitutes say the same thing, so I, it's <laughs> where it's true. I try. Look, I, I, sometimes I'm in a hurry to get away from everybody because it's been it's been very emotional and with all love and respect to everyone this was awesome but you get pretty good at, at saying goodbye and being like i'll see you if i see you you have to get good at that or else you'll never you'll just yeah. be bent up all the time yeah i saw an actor once we were doing this series and we did it for a year and uh it was it was a lot of fun and it was a tight little group. And then one of the actors, we were doing one of our last things together. We had already shot the last show, and we just had to take some pictures for uh, you know like some publicity pictures or whatever. So we're set up and we're taking our pictures together. And then we move into these single shots. And this actor was finished, and I watched them. It's like okay, so and so's wrapped, and and they said some goodbyes and stuff. And I didn't say my goodbye because I just it was I maybe i preferred an irish goodbye mm -hmm. i feel like we've said everything you know what i mean and this person knows that i revere them and they're a, an idol of mine and they walked out walked off the sound sound stage and i literally thought to myself that'll be the last time i see that person and the show did not come back and that was the last time i don't know, i'll see them around doesn't that just break your heart a little bit but i i know what she's going back to which is her family. And that's more important than all of this. And that's the thing about a, a TV family or a movie family when you get together and you're, you're a family for a while. You, do, you are, you spend your days together. A lot of times you see the people that you work with more than you see your loved ones. So in showbiz, it's no different, right? And uh, yeah, you're doing some, you know, you gotta say words and every once in a while you gotta kiss someone or pretend you love them. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's just, it underscores how, for me, look, man, my salvation has always been, and I'm, I feel so fortunate to have had it, is this kind of, kind of chill, boring kind of upbringing that I want for my kids someday. Uh, and I, I can't wait to get back to my house with my fiance and the dogs, you know, until yeah. we have kids. and Live in a cabin in Canada somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. I just want to buy some land over an aquifer, mm -hmm. as I like to say, because water will be the new money. And uh and just just make sure that all my 
my kids are drinking as much H2O as I am, which is a lot. I'm peeing right now, as a matter of fact. Do you need a bathroom? No, no, no. I got Not it. anymore. No, I'm wearing two layers of Depends. Don't worry about Good. it. Good. Um, so uh, I did a podcast with Bobby Lee, and he said he was extremely kind, and he said that he was scared shitless um, to be on, on the podcast. And he actually literally took, he asked as the first thing to go take a dump because of how scared he was. Uh, so that leads me to a question. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Or maybe what's the scariest you've ever been before performance? I mean, I always get a little nervous. I think you're doing it right if you're still nervous, you know? Were um, you nervous today? Well, no, man, because this isn't a performance. I'm being completely genuine. Yeah. You're wearing a suit. Yeah, that was... I yeah. feel like that makes you nervous. Wearing it a suit? It makes me nervous. Listen, I hate wearing a fucking collar. If you're watching this on YouTube, Look, you can see me just... This is... Yeah, I'm this. constantly doing... It's like I'm doing like a cheap Rodney Dangerfield, but I am truly... But when you move your head, it kind of makes it seem like you're like a mobster who's pissed off a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. You fucking crossed yeah. me one last time. You son. You know, yeah. this mutt. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the first time I yeah. dug a hole. I'll, I'll dig yeah. a fucking hole. Jesus. Yeah. Um, no, but truly, I hate having a, a collar. Yeah. I should. I can't wait to just wear pajamas in that fucking uh, cabin or nothing at all. Walk around Bobby Lee style. Yeah. Um, the most scared I've been before a performance. I can't pinpoint. I can't pinpoint anything. I, I, you know, when I was a kid, right? I, like I said, I was fortunate enough to start acting as a teen and stuff uh, professionally. And I just remember my first gig, and I remember saying my handful of lines in the bathroom mirror the night before, going, "This might be my only fucking shot. You're not going to get me. I'm going to be solid." And I, I when I'm if I'm worried about something, I will rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it as an actor until it's impossible for me not to get a take at least that I'm 100%, if not 95 maybe percent happy with. And the rest for me is letting go, which is hard because I can be a real perfectionist. I always want another, t I always want to do it a little better. That's what's great about podcasting because it's one take and you're done. There's no takes. Um, you're just talking and then it's over and you're mm. doing some silly stuff and I'll, I'll, I, you know, can you say that part again about why podcasting is great? Podcasting is great. Yeah. Cause it's one take and it's over. Okay. It's just, Good. it's it. what I said it again. Ah, fuck. Um, I see what you did. Uh, and I, yeah, I fell right for it, but, um, I'm playing checkers and you're playing chess. That's your problem. <laughs> you know, but still when we do the podcast, we'll like finish and I'll look over at Chad and I go, that one thing that I did wasn't that fun. Oh, He's like, yeah. shut up, man. Just, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's a fucking hang. We're just, yeah. we're hanging with our friends out there. That's what we're doing. So that anxiety is there. That self-criticism or whatever that is, that voice. I say sorry after takes. I'll, I'll always finish a take and go. And I've had directors, to the detriment of myself. Yeah. I've had directors be like, stop doing that. Yeah. Because I'll like finish a take and then I also have like the, the will face where i'm just like i'll finish take and cut Ugh. and i'm making a face right now like i smelled something yeah. that's what i'll do i'll literally be like ah because i just i i i look at i look at what i do <laughs> in the pure sense as i think i think a lot of people want to be good at something i've only 
the only thing I've ever really wanted to be good at is being an actor. And that's that's the only thing. Of course, I want to be a good person. I want to be a good partner to my fiance. I want to have kids and be a, uh, the father that I had. And, and uh, I want to be the parent that I had from, from my parents who were fucking amazing, wonderful people. And uh, there's all those things. That's all, that's all, you know, you should want all those things. But as far as doing a thing, like what is my, what is my trade? You know, I want to be really good at it. My, my, um, my parents grew up in Napoli in Italy. Right. And I say Napoli because I'm Italian. And so my grandfather on my mom's side, my Nono Pepe, he was a plumber (laughs) and he was also, uh, he was also like a handyman. Like people would bring him like, you know, like the old Chianti bottle with like, with the woven bottom part. Mm -hmm. Like people would bring him like a broken bottle, be like, Hey, you know, Giuseppe, can you fix this? And he'd be saying, I feel like you're telling the backstory of Mario. That's not actually your family life. (laughs) Yeah. But okay, yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm a fix. Yeah, and so uh, Giuseppe, what? He, he would fix a bottle uh, and give it back to someone. And yeah. he was a he was a really good plumber. My mom used to always say that guy was a, an amazing. He was a great. He took pride in that. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, there's what you set out to do as an idealistic little teenager. Was, oh, I want to be like so and so, and I want to you know here are my big dreams and stuff. And I can't believe that I'm still in the business. Okay, that's. First of all, let me say that <laughs> right now. I, 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 I can't believe it. But what I, re- what I really, I, I, it's the one thing that it's like, I can't give up on a take. Mm-hmm. You know, I need it to be as good as I can possibly get it. And I don't really know why that is outside of wanting to be good at something. When you open the yellow pages, if I'm a plumber, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not Roto-Rooter. Like, I'm not the guy with the big full page ad, but I'm also not you know, triple A abacus brothers or whatever, like the shitty one. Yeah. I I would like to hope that just, and I'm saying this with, with pride for what I do. I'm not trying to say, here's my standing or where I want to be in the fucking business. That's not what I mean. I mean that I want to be good at it. You know, we all, hello, Friedman Enterprises. So that's the hotel phone. You have some fruit? <laughs> some sliced fruit? No. Do you want some sliced fruit? I'm all good. No, we're good. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. All right. Bye-bye. It's always a fruit plate. Everyone's always trying to hand you a fruit plate in life, you know? It's a pretty Wouldn't sweet existence. Wouldn't it be funny if that was actually like the CIA and they were actually saying something else and this is, I'm just saying fake stuff about, you want some fruit? Yeah, I want some fruit. And then all of a sudden there's the red dot on my head and you, yeah. and the ceiling disappears. And, and the, the CIA was like, wrap it up, wrap yeah. it up, wrap it <laughs> up. Wrap it up. <laughs> you jump out the window and there's a helicopter yeah. waiting. Uh, oh, what were we talking about? Uh, the fruit distracted me. So, oh, the do you want to be... The, yeah, I just want to be the yellow page ad. I want to be the guy on the second or third page. Yeah, where it's like you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna pay what that guy charges you, but we're not gonna, I'm not gonna charge you with this loser charge. You know, I want to right down the middle, and the work is guaranteed. That's kind of what I want to. You know, it's the one thing that I that I've been fortunate enough to be doing my whole life, and that I want to uh, that I want to be good at. You know, everyone wants to be good at something. If you're fortunate enough to be able to do what you love as a job. I mean, my God, I'm so, I'm, 
I, again, I can't believe I get to do it. I just want to be good at it so that I can fucking, you know, die someday and go, eh. I tried not to give up on a take and I, yeah. you know, and I will rehearse it still in the, in the bathroom mirror the night before if I have to. Yeah. Know. But I still, I have that self-critical voice. I, I just, uh, after every pot, after this podcast, I'll probably be like, you, you're boring. Why are you so boring? And I just gave a lecture at MIT. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 I got so much love from people. There's such beautiful people. And I just remember walking home just feeling like you're like I wasted everybody's time, you know? And they, it's, it's it, I don't know what that is. I don't, you know, I, I do hope that that's a voice that won't destroy me, you know, like no, I, I th time. that's really human of you to admit that because yeah. people don't want to, they wouldn't assume that of course from you or anything that, I mean, you've got a, a large group of students in there listening yeah. to you and feeling the way and thinking what they think of you. Uh, so that's really interesting to hear you um, admit that, but it's also, I would expect nothing else. You have to be able to, it's such a, I mean, you're a human fucking being. And I'm trying to figure out if that, you know, for, for some people that might hear that, they would say, well, that's a problem you have to fix. And I think that that might be just who I am. Yeah. Be because I'm not, you know, I've been very, very fortunate not to have chemical you know, like the depression where I get into a dark place, like it gets stuck in a, in a, in a downward spiral. It's, it's usually a thing that lasts, you ride it out and you, and then after a good night's sleep, you're back to, uh, back to your happy self. So I think I have to try to figure that out. Is that just part of the creative process, being a creative human in this world? I haven't found any other way. I'm always kicking myself. Take that dudesy. You can't, yeah. you can't, the, the, you're you're not gonna be human until you feel some despair yeah and self-criticism absolutely hate the shit that I'll you're doing sometimes <laughs> uh what small act of kindness were you once shown that you'll never forget do you does something jump to mind where somebody just did something that made you smile made uh, you uh feel connected to the rest of humanity yeah yeah lots of things you know, um, but I remember my niece one time, one of my nieces, we were in her neighborhood and she was like, she might've been five or six at the time. They're all adults now. My brother and sister are older than me and the kids are all, the youngest is 22. And uh, yeah, anyway, one of my nieces, <laughs> she was just, she had ice cream. We went out and we got ice cream walking around the neighborhood, her neighborhood. And uh she said something to me that I don't think she understands how much it meant at the time, but she goes, she goes, people love you here. You know that? And she doesn't know where here is. She's five years old, but she was just looking at the kids playing in the park and the people walking their dogs and the, everyone just, people love you here. You know that? But she didn't know how much I needed to hear that at that point, which was really heavy for me. I'll never forget it. I've never told her that. Oh, well, yeah. man, anytime you get, a little something from people, especially in a tear your ass out city like LA where yeah. nobody has any fucking time for you. When someone can slow it down and say something, yeah, you know, I try, I, I, I saw this actor once in my grocery store that I go to who made me laugh so fucking hard in this one movie. And every time I see this clip, I still laugh and I'm, I am kind of shy, you know, uh, personally, but so he, uh, he was walking by, he was walking out and I was walking in and I go, oh, that's that guy. 
And I did not stop to just let him know how great I thought he was in this film. And I always kind of regretted it. You know what I mean? So as hard as it is, and sometimes I still don't, if I see someone that has done something in, in, you know, in any way, it doesn't have to be in show business or anything like that. I'll try, you know, I'll try and say, Hey, that's, that's really good. You know what I mean? Um, because to get that from someone can mean a lot, you know, at, at a certain a time in life when you need it. Yeah. That can make a big difference. I mean, I, Sorry to uh, take it back to my new girlfriend, the waitress. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she, there's something about her saying sweetheart. Yeah. I was in a, in a pretty low place for some reason mentally. And it's just that kind, that basic yeah. human kindness was nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I was at a restaurant in uh, New York recently, and I was shooting something, and my fiance was able to fly in for a week. and uh, But she was back at the hotel. And it's like, I felt like I was cheating on her because there was this nice waitress at this barbecue place I went to. And uh, first of all, my fiance would not like me eating any greasy, sugary barbecue. So I felt like I was cheating on we'll her We'll edit this out and put delicious <laughs> vegan food over yeah. it. But the waitress was one of these, you know, she was this, this the kind of server who's like, hey, hon, you think, hey, sweetie, like yeah. blah, blah, blah. But like yeah, yeah. so chill and at yeah. ease in the middle of a part of New York that's mm -hmm. really you know, kind of fucking pretentious and, you know, and everybody, but sweet people, yeah. fucking way better people than we got here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I know that, but, you know, it's part of New York and whatever. I'm there working and people, I'm like, you know, everyone's trying to impress one another. And, and uh, she was just, she even had some sort of an accent that was not, didn't feel like an Atlantic uh, American accent. Uh, yeah. Though those, yeah. Servers that say sweetheart and hun, yeah, that's what we need from AI. We need that <laughs> that Jetsons server. But Every once in a while, it just calls you sweetheart. Yeah, what uh, comforts you on bad days? Oh man, is there little sources of comfort? Small things they do that kind of make you feel good. Like for Bobby, that would be a little Skyrim, L yeah. little stroll through Skyrim. Well, I I've been a, a line of Coke or what? what yeah, a line of, a line of I dilute some Coke into yeah. whiskey in the morning, like Stevie yeah. Ray Vaughan. And then I oh, snort did that. whiskey. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Interesting. Yeah, he didn't last too long. Weird. Um, well, his music will last forever. I, see? Yeah. There you go. For me, if I... I'm kind of a homebody. So if I... The, the point at which I smoke just a little bit of pot and then go like lay down on the couch and and perhaps if my fiance is kind of nodding off or she's just like looking at her phone and I sneakily turn on some wrestling, okay? Because I grew up watching wrestling. And that stuff, it's the Skyrim effect. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about a complete escape. This stuff makes no sense in the world. It's an art form that is so uniquely weird, but at the same time so everyone it when it's good everyone is invested in the illusion even the audience they cheer the good guys they boo the bad guys so if i'm like that and then i got our two cute little dogs there and i'm annoying my little dog lulio and you know yeah. trying to kiss him right on the fucking mouth and i've had a little bit of pot and the dog's like stop mm. pot's not good for me um of course don't ever blow pot in your dog's face no. that's that's a small comfort i guess that's a handful of things no, that moment painted, that was like a little painting. That what you about did. you? 
You're not supposed to do this. Oh, well. You're not supposed to do this. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a tough question. Um, I would say, I would say programming robots. I uh, there's bringing to life, actually programming at all. And so I don't know if you how familiar you are with programming, but you write some text on a page, right, uh, on a screen. And it's brought to life, like it does something. And, and that's kind of, that's a really tiny version of maybe having a child. Like you you created something that is now living. Yeah. In some small or big way with embodied robots that are legged robots, that's especially clear. And it, for some reason, that's a source of comfort for me uh, that, that, the the power of programming, but also the elegance of programming, just the whole thing. It's That's a cool. it's a source. Uh, yeah, it's a source of happiness. There's so many things I've been very blessed with, enjoying anything. Like that's part part of the struggle I have in life is that the simple stuff is a source of a lot of happiness for me, which leads to a lot of laziness. So I have to like give myself artificial deadlines. I have to be freaking out on purpose in order to be productive in this world at all. You seem like an extremely dutiful, busy guy. No. no. No? I am, but because I'm constantly creating artificial stress and deadlines and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I would just sit there looking at a tree happy. I'm truly happy with everything. That's awesome. Yeah. Gee whiz. <laughs> that's not well, that's happy. the line of coke in the in the in the whiskey in the morning. That's yeah. that that's the thing that uh does Evie the Rayvon breakfast shake by the way one of my most favorite guitars i play guitar too that's a source of comfort oh yeah i have seen you play some guitar that's awesome who's the greatest wrestler of all time greatest in-ring performer of all time is brett the hitman hart what's the difference in-ring versus well there's you know there's many facets to the art form a lot of people are great on the mic but they're not so great once they get in the ring mm -hmm. a lot of people have all the uh the showmanship and stuff but then they're not necessary it's a wonderful package but then they get to the ring or they open their mouth and there's nothing going on so who's the greatest in ring performer i think the greatest in ring is bret hart i don't think there's anyone better than than bret the hitman hart uh uh what makes him so good well he i think i had an action figure of him of yeah. him in russia and we didn't know what the hell that was sure yeah it was just a guy in pink tights uh he everything makes sense every single thing is rooted in the thing that just happened and everything that he does is to set up what he's going to do. Uh, they call it, and I'm just a wrestling nerd, but the wrestlers, I guess, call it ring psychology. Um, the things that you have to do to to make it seem like you're you're suffering or you're coming from behind or whatever. And then also just the physicality of it. He does it at a he would do it at a 100 miles an hour and never hurt anybody. Uh, although, you know, I I also love. Uh, the every you know the greatest wrestler of all time everyone says and they're they're right is Ric Flair, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Everyone says this. Yeah, I think if you know what you're talking about, because um, he's the best on the mic. He's the he, he's yeah. also incredible in the ring, and then for me the sentimental favorite, which we've actually on Dudesy Chad had sort of a uh, Charlie Rose esque interview with me about this my fascination with hulk hogan mm -hmm. because to me just he was superman i was a little kid and i saw him and that's imprinted but yeah well, see this is like asking me who my favorite child is okay. right so 
the rock when the rock was yeah i mean the rock's the rock yeah but. yeah i mean hulk hogan is um he's the weirdest one right for me from the outside <laughs> super weird that i don't know what what that is exactly it's everything's weird about him yeah he's got the bald not, head like he would proudly have this bald head with long hair the handlebar mustache in this ketchup and mustard you know tights uh, which he says he credits mcdonald's with the tights he, he literally does he says that the, the the red and yellow came from angelo poffo who's randy macho man savage and lanny poffo's dad who was a wrestler and, and a promoter he said that he saw him wearing yellow and uh, he, you know he's a tampa guy so he had that brown skin and the the hair and everything so he's like oh that's what i want to do and also the brand recognition of like well i should do it like mcdonald's literally and he's a big you know swollen muscular uh, guy with tan brown skin screaming at me to eat my vitamins and stuff when i'm eight years old that was extremely uh yeah he's like superman i but i know there's a person behind that guy yeah you know what do you I, mean well like, he's, uh, he's terry bolea the dude who you know does whatever the fuck he does with his life you know what i mean yeah complicated life yeah i guess to be, to be him yeah yeah maybe you should change the the dudes the uh colors to to yellow right <laughs> red and yellow it's currently orange and uh boy sky blue yeah it's like a nice uh sky blue what advice since you're wearing a suit i feel like you're qualified to give advice what advice would you give to young people high school college about how to have a career they can be proud of or how to have a life they can be proud of. I mean, you have to listen to your gut all the time. That's the only, that's the compass that we have is listening to your gut. What did your gut tell you? This is, is that, was that originally the dream of being an actor? Yeah, for me. Did your parents support that at all? I had the advantage of having parents who were immigrants, so they didn't really know a lot about what you, you so you just made shit up? You just made shit like, up? I was like, yeah, of course I'm studying and I'm skipping school to go do auditions and stuff. No, I, I just kind of feel like, you know, and I know it was different from my older siblings because my parents had just shown up in Canada. I was born like 10 years later. Um, uh, you can get away with some things and you can actually, you know, I think my parents, they wanted us to, they didn't have a whole lot to tell us about what to do. Um, they weren't going to do that with us because they're in this brand new world and there's all these possibilities. And, but there was a, a, there was something that they, I, I feel like they had to do, which was tell us to do what we love. If you love doing it, do it. And, um, I feel like that's really served me. And what I would tell young people is if you can find something you love and nowadays with the internet and finding other people that, you know, it's not like you need to find a lot of people anymore. You just need to find the people that dig what you dig. And if you can make a career out of doing something that you love, it's been said, it's it's a good thing, you know? How long did it take you to figure out that you really love um, acting? You know, because sometimes you have a dream and then you meet, the dream meets reality, right? Yeah. And then the reality might be much less pleasant or much darker than... The dream. Well, the reality is less pleasant, you know? And and there are things that happen uh, during an experience of shooting something that, that you could take or leave, right? Mm -hmm. But the 
the you know the the part where you're on set and you've you know you've rehearsed for a minute or whatever at least you know where you're supposed to stand and now and you know all your lines show up knowing everything knowing what you're going to do and uh what you aim to do and um th- those moments make it all worth it when you're you know not to sound like a douchebag but between act uh, you know action and cut that's the stuff that is uh that can, that makes me that has me continuing to do do what I do aside from the fact that it's like I don't, know, I don't know how to do anything else. You think you'll ever do like a dramatic, like a like a mob movie? Yeah, like the one, the Inside Game I was just mm-hmm. talking about. Or this is other movie I just did. It was a little while ago called American Woman that was very heavy. Um, and uh, I love doing dramatic work. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I played that the in Inside Game. It was kind of a, it, you know, it was a there was a mob element and the the fellow was well, you know, the stories here or there with regard to how deep uh into the but well he was a bookie he was just running money you know doing he was making a lot of money for a lot of people and he figured out how to you know cook it with this dude um who was an nba ref and and it's a very interesting documentary the thing that they just uh, untold under the untold series they cover it but getting to play that guy that was a that was a that was a gas for me because he's like a he was a you know there was a lot of unsavory stuff and he's definitely the guy the character in the movie who is the wild card and 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 you don't want to necessarily mess with him and i got to i remember this fellow who is a real guy speaking to him it was just bizarre to hear like i said to him he was a little concerned about this and that like hey you know you say whatever the fuck you want in your movie i got my book and i got this other fucking deal Mm -hmm. but he goes you know, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I got you. And he goes, yeah, I'm telling you, like, I did, I'm talking to you one-on-one. I did not do this. I did. Okay. I'm just fucking tell you, do whatever the fuck you want with your movie, but this is what's up. And I said, you ever seen Goodfellas? He's like, yeah, I fucking love that movie. Hmm. Cause he, like I said, he did some unsavory shit. And I go, you remember the scene where, uh, where, you know, the guy, the neighbor, Lorraine Bracco's neighbor was, you know, made her uncomfortable and was touching on her. And she, she goes to Ray Liotta and he goes, where the fuck does this guy live? And then he yeah. go and remember, and he walks across the street and pistol whips the dude. Mm-hmm. You touch her again, you're dead. Yeah. You hear me? Yeah, good scene. Don't shoot. Fucking great scene. He goes, I love that scene. I go, that's you. So you're doing shit that we know is terrible, but yeah. we love you. He goes, all right, I got it. And then I said, there's this one scene. I explained the scene to him where the, one of the mobsters, uh, tough guys was in the window of the car and Jimmy, my character is very coked up at the time and he's hemorrhaging money here and there and making bad bets. Cause he's getting sloppy. And this guy wants to bug him about some jets giants bet or something. I'm like telling you fucking asshole, don't fucking do it. He's like, yeah, well, the fucking giants. And in the scene, Jimmy, my character grabs him by the, by the lapels and just smashes his face <laughs> against the, 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 the roof of the car. And I, I say this to, to Jimmy and he goes, Oh yeah, I would have done that. That's yeah. not a fucking big deal. <laughs> I, I wonder also the interaction. I wonder what the filming of um probably my favorite gambling movie is um Casino with with Joe Pesci and De Niro. Oh like when they're out in the desert yelling at each other. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many takes that is. Like cuz they I, I don't I don't know how scripted that is. I mean, it probably is a little bit, but like I I don't think you can script the performance that Joe Pesci does. Yeah. Don't make a fuck out of me, Ace. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I fucking brought you here. Yeah. 
It, he's just like pointing at yeah. the that 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 energy, and they're the, standing there, and, and their friendship. And then is, De Niro's like uh, like that that whole thing, and then in the pet, yeah, like that that energy. What is that? I mean, they must they somehow find it together. You could tell me that that was one take, and I'd believe you. You yeah. could tell me that that was seven takes, and I would believe. I you. bet you all the takes had that energy, like oh, they were yeah. playing with it, right? They sure. were they were they were playing with that the the this. Yeah, I mean, they they took on a real personality in those scenes and really carried them forward. I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant performance. Doesn't get like comedies, like mob movies, probably don't get enough credit either, because it's seen as like mob movies don't get enough credit. What do you mean? In the Oscars, I mean, like that. Oh kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, because yeah, it seems like a trope. It's like giving yeah. a western a. It's got to be a hell of a, a western or whatever, because it's like an old Hollywood trope. Yeah, no, I. That scene is so great because they're never at, they're at the height of their friendship in a way, and they're also pretty much about to let go of it and become enemies. Yeah. And both things are happening at the same time. And and Pesci drives him out to the desert. And if I remember correctly, De Niro's character Ace Rothstein, Rothschild, he says, "I I gave myself fifty fifty whether I'm coming back." Yeah, it's such a good scene. It's, it's a great uh, scene. Usually my prospects of coming back from the desert would be 90 to 10 or something like that. But now it was, this time I wasn't sure. And there's the car driving really fast. And then Joe Pesci is like, you motherfucker, you, like yeah. whatever he was doing. Yeah. A Jew, like, of course, there's anti-Semitism. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or not, between friends, who gives a shit? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, brilliant, brilliant performances. So yeah, I, I can understand why you love the art and putting it all out there and yeah, leave man, it's it. It's fun. It's fun, leave. and it's still fun. It's still crazy fun. If I go a while without getting a gig, you know, if I go a minute, then I end up and I work on something. I'm like, it is. It's like, oh, I've been thirsty for this. Like, I actually am really so happy even if it's something where it's like you know the 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 things where eh, this was a pain in the ass and that or whatever or you're on the road doing something and you know anything whatever you lost your luggage or whatever the heck you've got going on in your day-to-day -day life uh that everyone brings uh to work and tries to let go of once we're doing the scene oh man it's the best but you know that said uh you're a great actor but i, I just think i speak for a lot of people that you're also there's a charisma to you that's great to reveal in raw form in different podcasts. Oh, cheers, man. in Dudesy Ten Minute Pod, just as a guest in podcasts, it's always really fun to watch you. Cheers. The, the way you have fun, the way you think, uh, the raw, the raw Will Sasso, which is a nice compliment to your kind of acting. That's role. really sweet. Yeah. Cheers. Well, you know, look, you said, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're making that face. I'm making that face. I'm making that after the take face. No, I love doing stuff off the cuff. That's kind of you to say. And I dig, I really do dig doing stuff in front of an audience because I love seeing, I don't give it to myself very often. If I'm doing, even if I'm, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of multi-camera sitcoms and stuff. Mad TV was shot in front of a live studio audience. You like that energy? I love it, but I can only hear them. You can't see them because of the lights like it is in, in a lot of, uh, performances and i would imagine with stand-up it's you know you see the first couple rows um i've done a I've do, i do this character that does stand up and i used to take him out and do things with him and do a little bits here and there i haven't done it in like 
four or five years. I think, it, did Bobby say that character opened up for Bobby? Yeah, but he said, I have to do it as myself too. Yeah. I think in that podcast, he's like, okay, you're going to come with me and open for me in Brea, but you have to do it as yourself. And did that like, ever happen? You. It did. And I did the character, uh, uh, you know, who's a character I came up with on 10 Minute Podcast. He's just this comedian, right? He calls himself an open mic veteran. You know, he's been doing open mics forever. And so I did it at, at opening up for Bobby. And he's like, you have to do some of it as yourself. So I just kind of did this bit where I would do some of his jokes and then I would take Lee Leon, silly, I got a fucking wig on and I take the wig off and I go, eh. and as myself, I start explaining it. Hello, my name is Will. See, the reason that it's funny is because uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is always, he's in these movies and he's got the thick Austrian accent, but he's like, yeah, my name is Ben Williams. I'm a, I'm a cop from Colorado. No, you're not. Uh, and it doesn't make sense as the comedian character that I'm doing. Cause that character doesn't do impersonations. Okay. Carrying on. And then I put the wig back on and go back into this dumb thing. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think it was very good, but Bobby required it in order for me to open for him. He's like, you're not fucking doing it. So I'm not going to get up on stage and not do, we agreed I'll do it. But, um, having been up there just in, you know, whatever, I've done it like a dozen fucking times or not a bunch of times, right? Like nothing. Uh, and you know, these comedians that go up every night, sometimes two times a night, it, it's, I, I do, I will say, I love performing in front of people when I get the chance, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's a specific thing that, that, uh, that I, I just, I just, I don't know. I got to go back to this. It's like the providing value, yeah. you know, I think great standups are fucking incredible. I'll, I'll go, you know, when I've gone and watched standup, you know, there's your friend you're going to see, but then there's this other person who really speaks to you. You know what I mean? And if you like one comedian a night, that's a lot because a, a, a comedy club is like a fucking crazy restaurant where there's no menu. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. what would you like? There's nothing else like that. There's like, you don't go to like a like music place. Well, what do we got here? We got Christian metal and there's some world music and then there's a reggae thing mm -hmm. and it's all rammed in together. Or you don't go to a restaurant I'd love a nice steak. Cool. First, here's a bowl of Fruit Loops, yeah. and then then we got you a crudite, and then uh, this is our sushi tower. And, well, what about the steak? Oh, the steak's coming, and yeah. then blah blah blah. Oh no, the steak got bumped, so there's no steak. But here's a fucking shitty store bought cheesecake. Yeah, you know, and that's what comedians are up against yeah. when they go into a place. It's like I don't pair well with the poached salmon. Yeah. You know, I'm chicken fingers. I already I already am chicken fingers. So you know, these great comedians that are able to go up on a night where poached salmon goes up and then it's like, fuck, I'm, you were also spicy. I got some kick to me. For me, even going to open mics, it could be a wonderful escape. Yeah. I mean, just laughing, laughing together with others. It can make you, I don't know. It just feels really good. When we've done like, you know, like, and I hope to do it with dudesy, but like live podcasts are fun in front of groups of people. And, you know, you talk to them afterwards and, and take some pictures and man, they are, they forgot what the fuck they got going yep. on. Yep. And a lot of yep. them got to go back to work the next day. It's yep. a Wednesday or Thursday, you know? No, it's, it's, it's a lot of value. I'm fortunate enough to be busy doing my own bullshit. What's the meaning of life, Wasasa? Uh, what is the meaning why? of life? Why are we here? Why, why, why? 
Was it uh, the meaning of life? Wasn't didn't they explain it at the end of Meaning of Life? I think it was Michael Palin that said, uh, "Try to get a walk in, uh, be nice to neighbors, uh, eat enough fiber." Wasn't that the fiber? Fiber is part of it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's nutrition. Get, I have a know. bowl of bran in the morning, and uh, don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, no one gets out alive. I think is the Herman Hesse, one of my favorite writers. He's a Nobel Prize winner um, in in a in a book called Steppenwolf says, learn what is to be taken seriously and laugh at the rest. Oh, that's awesome. What, what's the percentage distribution on that? So how much of life should you take seriously? And then how much do you just laugh at? Oh, man. If you can laugh at everything, you're, you're winning. Yeah. Uh, that's but that's book. almost impossible. Yeah. I think that there's, there's uh, and also could be quite irresponsible to do that. I take things, I take a lot of things way too seriously. I know that. Uh, I do, I do, I really do. People will be in part surprised by that, but I think that radiates from you. Really? Yeah, I do, I do. I take things way too fucking seriously sometimes. But, um, and you gotta yeah, they're gonna, gonna loosen right, the neck up. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think that's that's really good. That's that's really good stuff. It, it, I don't know what the percentage is to have a good life or, 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 a, or a happy, healthy life, but, you know, for me, the meaning of life is getting to live it as long as you hope to. That's nice, and um, and when you're when you lose someone or or if perhaps you're faced with your own mortality, I think that puts that into perspective. And uh, but I, you know, get lots of fiber. Get lots of fiber. Uh, be nice to everybody, and. Uh, yeah, don't take things too seriously. Is a good. It's a good one. Our minds are fucking big, weird. It's a big, weird, shitty, fucking bucket of shit that's trying to get you to think horrible shit about yourself all yeah, the time. Shitty bucket of shit. Shitty bucket of shit. I think there's a book I never read, but I read the title, and it's a good words to live by, which is uh, "Don't sweat the small stuff," and it's all small stuff. Yeah. That's another way. Was that Doctor Phil? Wasn't Doctor Phil? Was <laughs> I don't know, but I think the conclusion is also has fiber as part of it. I, I think it all, that all ties it together, and in the end, of course, just put love out there in the world. I think that's a pretty good way. To What's go. you, what would you say is the meaning of life? Put love out in the world. I would say love. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a long conversation on what that really means, uh, but I'm sure robots are involved. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I feel a little safer knowing that someone who has a hand in bringing these robots to the masses, as you do, has that uh, opinion of of love and how important it is. I think that's great because uh, otherwise it's going to be that uh, fucking scene from T2 where uh, Linda Hamilton's holding onto the, the, the fence and getting all of her flesh blown off of her skeleton before the rest of her is is wiped away because this skynet shit yeah. anyway i'm just terrified of dudesy all the time that's why i think that they will uh, dudesy in the wrong hands can do a lot of damage that's why chad and i need to con do our best to control it you need to travel back in time and murder chad <laughs> i think yeah I, that's yeah that's I, the only way it's been said. Do I don't know why you need to travel back in time, but well, <laughs> you could just uh, yeah, I'll murder go, him today. But if, I think yeah, I'll be I, very suspicious. My nefarious plans for Chad involve 
going back to tomorrow and planning for yesterday and then and hopefully Dudesy will give me the answer there with what what it is to do with uh chad's frozen body if yeah. i got to drive it out to if i got to take my uh you know if i got to get get a hold of a, like a one of those uh tesla mom vans mm -hmm. and uh shove my garage freezer in it and plug it in and shove chad in there drive out to arizona and deliver him under a mountain or wherever the fuck this place is and say here's his dog tag what does this get me and they're like, ah, it's going to be uh, 300 bucks. Do you have, a, uh, do you take Amex? No. And I'd be like, ah, shit. And I'll just dump them somewhere, Breaking Bad style. Well, I would like to thank you and the, what is it? The Canadian International Agency Apparel. Apparel <laughs> Canadian for, International Apparel. I can't wait uh, for the sneakers from Dudesy. Oh, I boy. can't wait for all the, uh, all the, uh, the podcasts. Uh, that AI can and all the trouble it can get you in. So I'm a huge fan of yours. It's a huge honor that you would talk with me today. Well, this has been amazing. Cheers, pal. Likewise, and I'm happy to be here, man. Cheers. Bam. Hey. Oh, that was three fun, hours, dude. Holy fuck! What? Thanks for listening to this conversation with Will Sasso. To support this podcast, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now. Let me leave you with some words from John Candy, one of Will's favorite actors. I think I may have become an actor to hide from myself. You can escape into a character. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.